hello and welcome to Into the Aether. It is still a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilker. We have a fun day <laughs> planned for you all. Whoa, present tense? I love that. Yeah. Like, not we have something fun planned. We have a fun day. We have a fun... <laughs> we have fun. <laughs> we are recording a good episode. It's nice to see everybody here. The all the smiling spo- faces. The earliest spooky season has abruptly begun for us. We're in full <laughs> horror mode. Yeah, yeah, so... We, we are Steven. <laughs> we are a worm with a human face. <laughs> we move like abrupt claymation outside your window. We are fun. Sorry. <clears throat> so we have uh, a bunch of video games to talk about today. We do. Uh, most of them are spooky season games. Yeah, though, we have which... a lot of Halloween horror games for you. I'm so excited for that section. Yeah, it'll be good. But we were like, Let, let's let's give the people uh, some time to get used to the world. Because every horror movie you've ever seen, it starts off with things being like moderately chill. Oh, look, this is just the regular world. It's the suburbs in Philadelphia. Everyone's just hanging out. Oh, now there's the guy with the scary mask stabbing people. Yeah. So we're going to talk about some stuff. Just to establish the nice Philadelphia suburb first. I think the <laughs> this uh, is the jump scare that's just the friend next door. And it's like, oh, it's Joey. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this, is what, this is what, yeah, when they open the, the cupboard and it's just a cat. That's like, what's happening yeah, now. Yeah, exactly. This is the cat jump scare. <laughs> so what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you playing, Stephen? Tell me, tell me what's up. So yeah, mo- again, most of the games I have for today are for later. But something I did that is kind of exciting that I've been wanting to do for a while that I feel like is one of the many white whales of the aether i reactivated my subscription to final fantasy 14 a very popular critically acclaimed mmo <laughs> so you and i with final fantasy 14 we got really into it like right before the pandemic i remember it was like early 2020 and it was one of our more experimental bonus episodes for a realm reborn which is the first kind of campaign of the game we recorded that episode while we were playing it and streaming it that's the only bonus we've ever done that with. And yeah. it, honestly, I think... Eat that, Zuckerberg. <laughs> what? The metaverse, baby. Oh, yeah, It's yeah, in yeah. Final Fantasy XIV. Okay, I, I can connect it now. Uh, I, I like the idea that Mark was also doing the same thing that day. And he's like, <laughs> why is no one watching my stream? Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg was soft launching his Twitch channel. Yeah, I'm also an all-raw archer. Why isn't anyone tuning into this? Um <laughs> We uh, we recorded that while we were playing, which is kind of silly. And I don't know if it like I haven't listened to that episode in a long time. I think it was a fun recording, but like I don't think anything magical happened by recording while playing. However, I do think it's kind of synonymous with like the appeal of Final Fantasy 14, where it really is like a pleasant place to be. Yeah. You know, I think I think it's an MMO that has found a lot of success by like genuinely providing like a really wonderful world to be in. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's not, I don't think you're wrong to say eat that mark because like it is by all means, like what anyone pitching a metaverse would, would promise it to be. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it kind of found that organically. I mean, obviously, you know, Square Enix wants it to be the success, but I think that the production history of FF14 launching in like a really critically pan state internalizing that failure as like a lore beat of the world like 
for those who don't know, when Final Fantasy XIV first came out, it was like really not working for most people. And rather than just starting from scratch, which is what they kind of did, they basically had this event in the world where like the realm was destroyed <laughs> and then reborn for A Realm Reborn, which was sort of like the reboot of FF14, way, you know, way more positively received. And that kind of paved the way for the campaigns that came out after, which have all been every one that comes out is like more critically acclaimed than than the last. You know, it just feels like Realm Reborn, they kind of recalibrated, like, what is the purpose of this MMO? Everyone I've talked to about it has just said casually, like, this is some of the best, like, Final Fantasy narratives that have ever been. Yeah. Uh, which I just, like, need to see as a big Final Fantasy fan. The fact that I'm missing that piece kind of drives me wild. So, like, <laughs> so I had finished Realm Reborn. I had, I had completely completed the first campaign that's the wild thing you ate your vegetables and did I not ate my vegetables. <laughs> exactly. that's what i mean it's like yeah. we just sort of stopped at like and also it, it's just become more and more popular like i see it everywhere i'm yeah. just like what am i waiting for i have a video game podcast like what <laughs> what is this why am i holding off on this and yeah. you know i i get why i mean it's like the subscription is not cheap to be blunt like the fact that it's 15 a month is like a lot you know i mean yeah. i don't, I don't want to get into like it, it is a continuously supported game with like so much love put into it and so much stuff to do like i understand why there's like a payment required but it does kind of feel like a dated model in some ways what are you laughing about uh, we have to get off skype one day you i don't know what they're doing <laughs> just okay wait this is a little beef behind the curtain but we we record this the show on skype every week yeah and they have i guess done some kind of update where i think you were scratching your cheek and you gave what almost looked like a thumbs up and a big thumbs up emoji just showed up on screen this is okay this has happened to me in multiple services it's not just the 2009 uh, <laughs> oh my god it's the same thing. i know this is like audio poison why to be did laughing i add about. this to skype Brendan, I kid you not, recently in a Discord call with a good friend of ours, I did some kind of hand gesture and balloons appeared behind me. I don't know what's going on with all these services. You also just froze. Yeah, my, my camera froze. It like recognized the thumbs up and then froze with me like losing my mind. Okay, there it is. <laughs> I'm just saying that like even if we leave Skype, I don't know if we can leave this sort of ominous threat of doing gestures and then you know emojis popping up there's no thumbs down notably well they don't want any negativity on this platform okay <laughs> i'm just trying <laughs> right. i'm just smiling this is great this is great uh podcasting yeah, huh i was i was let, let, let the record show i was in the middle of a thought yes yeah I, the thumbs up just really freaked <laughs> no, me no, out no, i i if you just let that go like it, it would actually cause a rift between us like if you saw that and didn't tell me <laughs> And all this time, like, I'm like, what was Brendan giggling about that one day while I was like, yeah, you know, subscription models are a thing of the past. Yeah, we would need to wipe the realm clean. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think we still do. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 this it's the season of autumn. Things are for are dying necessarily to be reborn in the spring. Exactly. Anyway, subscription. I, I resubscribed I re <laughs> Final Fantasy 14, and I'm very excited to like slowly get through all that. So no promises, but I would love to like bring up some of those future campaigns on the show once I get there. You're playing it on PS5? Yeah, I'm playing on PS5. I've also just been playing so much multiplayer Baldur's Gate 3 
that it's kind of like made me hungry for that social aspect mm. you know yeah. like I, I, it's worth noting too like i've never really been into mmos like i i played wow in high school when it was like taking over the world and i enjoyed it but like i kind of preferred oblivion you know like uh, in our high school like wow was at its most popular in like 2007 i think that was like the second big expansion wrath of the lich king and like all my friends were playing it they all had like top level characters and they were like oh like here we'll make a new character to level up with you and then of course like in a week those new characters would also be top level and i was still just killing ostriches for you know my neighbors um level two or whatever my i mean my interest in wow was like i i was less interested in getting a top level i was more interested in i made every type of character and got them to like level 10 i just sort of wanted to see like what are all the different starting areas Mm. what does it feel like to play as a class the other big rift too was all my friends were alliance fucking phonies i wanted to be the (laughs) horde so i'm like who would not you see your options why not go horde like what what is it about the alliance do you like the color beige like are you that boring (laughs) Mm -hmm. like Anyway, so my, I had my s- experience with with <laughs> WoW and with most MMOs in general has always been kind of a solo affair. And when I when I played WoW for the brief time that I did, I think it was right when um, Burning Crusade came out. Yeah, that was another that was the first big expansion from what I remember. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember picking that up and playing it probably for like a month because it came with a free month and then just like didn't click with me. And every MMO I've tried for the most part has been me jumping into it solo. And the two times that MMOs have really worked for me were um, I think it was called Wild. Wildstar was a game oh, yeah. that we played briefly at the site that we used to write for. Um, and I played a lot with uh, our, our friend Mercer, who was one of our co-hosts over there. Who loves MMOs. Who loves she MMOs. Like, yeah. and, and she was yeah. like such a great, just like such a great presence to have in terms of totally. like teaching me why MMOs are fun and why the social aspect is so important as somebody who was playing a lot of them solo. And then Final Fantasy 14, when you and I played together, was like, oh yeah, I get it now. Which I still, to be clear, I am still chipping away at that game. I have it on Steam Deck and it like rocks. Um, and yeah, I just dip in every once in a while. I think it's a great game. Like I started playing it kind of on a whim and I found it to be like a very meditative game to go back to. Yeah. And it's I also like I saw an interview with the producer of uh, Final Fantasy 14 and someone asked him, like, what should I do if I have like trouble playing a lot between expansions? You know, like, what's your advice if I get like burned out? by playing this yeah and he was like don't play it like go play something else yeah you know like and that seems like how anyone would answer that question but again it's like unless you're on these... like the capitalistic like right at all costs treadmill yes yeah. all these games all these mmos you know if you want to count live service games too are like begging you to only play them constantly yeah and you know i'm not saying that ff14 doesn't have some practices around that like i'm sure square enix would love for you to like spend $40 on like a hat and play it forever. Yeah, I'm sure 14 people in the marketing division were not happy that that was his answer to that question. <laughs> yes, you know? exactly. But I think like to hear someone who is like, has considerable power over that game being like, yeah, like it's cool for you to, to like take your time with it. I, I do think speaks volumes for it being a game that like people genuinely want to be part of. Yeah. Cause I also, I, I think too, it's worth noting with Final Fantasy 14 and, and to be clear, I've only done Realm Reborn. So maybe this is different. Eventually the thing I remember about wow, that was kind of insidious in high school, at least was like a lot of my friends who were really like neck deep into it. It was as if they didn't even want to play it. It was like an obligation. Yeah. They they were in a guild and they were like, I just remember being in my friend's apartment and all my friends 
being glued on their laptops and all of their partners in the same room, like looking bored out oh, the window. Man. Yeah. And I just went over and talked to all of them. And I was like, <laughs> hey, I don't have WoW. Uh, what's up? Um, but <laughs> just platonically, to be clear. Yeah. I mean, that, that was my big realization with Destiny eventually. That was why I had to put Destiny down was like, I am playing this literally just to keep up. And, and to Bungie's credit, they've been very open over the past, I would say, like eight to ten months saying pretty clearly like we are trending in the direction of a final fantasy 14 like we we don't need you to be playing this all the time but they admitted like that was their driving force for a long time and i think it was mostly based in the fact that they were probably an independent company it was after their big break from activision and they just like needed to pay the bills but now that they're part of playstation seems like they have a little bit more of like a you know a financial bedrock to stand on top of and i and i think with that has also come them kind of like loosing the reins does that mean that i'll ever go back to destiny absolutely not uh probably you know I, i've tried a couple times and it just like hasn't worked out for me but i have i have found that with so many games that i played where i just have that moment of realization that's like why why am i playing this and is it literally just to keep up with what's going on um or is it because i i think the game is actually fun honestly that's like the death knell for a lot of the idle games that i play uh on, on my phone like usually i'll download one and i'll play it for like a week or two and i'm like why am i still playing like am i actually enjoying this are the mechanics yeah. interesting is this a reskin of another game i played before etc cetera, etc cetera. the only one the one i'll give a shout out to eggs inc has managed to be great since it launched and only gets better uh i, I, I think i think the developer of eggs inc is is like maybe a genius uh i would i would check that game out if you haven't played it but yeah i think what what intrigues me so much about ff14 other than you know it being like the big final fantasy mmo and like loving the aesthetic and setting of it and the music which is just you know every final fantasy has amazing music yeah i think it's telling that the people who like you know evangelize the game it's almost all about the story like yeah. they it's an mmo that is narrative driven uh and i think everyone kind of walks away from it feeling like they have this attachment to a place and to their character it, it's never like i have to grind I'm, I'm sure there's some type of grind for new gear and stuff i mean i remember that even from when we played but nobody talks about it like that's not no one that's, talks that's about that's not the it. conversation yes. about the game which is very interesting like no it's not the thing that surprises me is usually in conversations like this it'll be like yeah the narrative is really great you're gonna have to grind a little bit to get there but like the narrative is really great and i never hear the people couching that the narrative is really great with the other stuff like there's never there's never the like well here here's like the one or two things that you should be aware of that are gonna like maybe rub you the wrong it's always just like no the game is fucking great you gotta play it yeah and it's funny because it's like i remember distinctly you and i like fighting one of the summons (laughs) i just saw another thumbs up You weren't even, you were scratching your chin and it appeared. Oh my um, God. <laughs> I, I think it might be linked to our psyche or something like a mental <laughs> summoning. I'm going to hold my hands under my desk for the rest of this recording. Yeah, I think we need to like, <laughs> we need to be bound for this episode. <laughs> we had just fought this summon. And then like the next quest was like, can you go dust paintings? <laughs> and like that, you know, it was just like walking around, clicking on something. And like that stuff is like, especially Realm Reborn, I think has a lot of that kind of busy work. Mm. But I think the reason why it doesn't really stand out is because like there there is so much endearing you to the setting. And I think a lot of those kind of busy work quests, like most of them are earlier on. And like without saying too much about the story, the way Realm Reborn opens, uh, you know, you're new to a place. I think depending on the class you choose, you're in a different starting area and you go to the Adventurers Guild and like it really does feel like you're new to the town and and the quests you're given are like representative of that fact like you don't really you know as much as it can be tedious to have to do kind of like wowy low level quests for the early levels like by the time you are in 
like the high stakes adventure, it feels so earned yeah. because you like really kind of made your name, a name for yourself in this place. And I think that's kind of what I would imagine what makes these stories so resonant is the fact that like you've committed to this place and, you know, committed to this character and like, it feels like a journey that you are part of, you know? And I think yeah. there's something you had to earn that, your greatness. That is something that is, I think in a lot of great RPGs, but the fact that this game is a continuous kind of living thing, I imagine makes that hit even harder in some ways. Mm, yeah. That weirdly, it weirdly <clears throat> ties into another game that I've been playing uh, that I just I just want to shout out very quickly. Uh, it's one that we brought up many times. It's like, a, we'll talk about this eventually. Um, but I, I picked up recently the Retroid Pocket Flip because uh, it was on sale. It's a it's a system I've wanted for a long time. I really like Retroid's emulation handhelds, but they have I'm showing it to Steven. They have the flip now, which is, you know, a clamshell design, uh, which just means that it like fits in my pocket. It's really good for commuting, which I love. And the game that I've been playing on it the most over the past week has been Trails in the Sky, the PSP oh, version. Oh, hell yeah. Um, which I brought up in the past saying like, I don't like the PSP version. It seems like you should really play the one on Steam Deck. Like that's definitely the way to go about it. And I don't know what it is, I, th I think I just goofed up the way I was emulating it the first time because it is so good on PSP now that I'm playing it again. And also specifically being able to emulate it, having the uh, the camera controls mapped to the right analog stick instead of needing to press L and R to like swing the camera around. Really great, which is how it runs in the in the remake as well. But that is another game which, you know, that franchise is what, like 15 games long at this point. And the yeah. whole point of the first trilogy is like, you are doing shit jobs for a long, long, long time, you know, but the, the characters are so excited to be doing those shit jobs yeah. because they've been like working their way up to being uh, what are essentially like cool adventures. Um, bracers, you need like a license right? for. Yeah, they're called bracers. Yeah, you need like yeah. a cool like bracers license to be able to do those jobs. And they're so stoked to be doing like the lowest level stuff that honestly, like that feeling is just imparted onto the player. At least I'm feeling that way. And I know you felt that way, too, in the way that oh, we yeah. talked about it. Um, but weirdly does tie in so much to the early hours of Final Fantasy 14 like they feel like weirdly similar in terms of what they're going after absolutely yeah and I think that's also a reason why like Trails fans are so devoted to it because yeah. like and demand it, that you start with Trails in the Sky yes. even though it's like the least available trilogy I, I am still I'm like about maybe a third of the way into Trails of the Sky and um it's not even that it's that long of a game I just think because it is so like grounded in that kind of day-to-day -day schedule yeah I feel weird like binging it. So it is a game that I like chipping away at. Yeah, same. I also find that it puts me to sleep a lot. Um, yeah, in a good way. Because yeah. it's just like the music is so charming. Yeah. Like there's so much dialogue, which is honestly all well-written. Like I think the dialogue oh, yeah. is really I good love, I love the protagonist. She's awesome. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think my plan is like I have... And I keep getting more of them. It feels like quicksand. Like there's always like one eventually <laughs> on sale. So I have, you know, in my library, I have the first two Trails in the Sky games. I have Trails from Zero. And then I also deeply on sale was one of the Cold Steel games. I think four mm, yeah. that I was like, oh, OK, this is like $15. I'll get it. So in 10 years when I'm doing Cold Steel, I'll, I'll have it. with me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I think I definitely at least want to see the sky trilogy that's kind of where i'm at right yeah. now yes yeah, um, and, and i feel like the the one people talk about the most is the cross bell duology which is trails from zero and trails to asia i believe yep so you know eventually we'll have like a 10 hour bonus about all of that um but yeah you know <laughs> but for the for the time being uh trails in the sky on the psp i i, I 
recant everything I said. Uh, I think it's great. I'm really enjoying it. I think that's a perfect comparison to, uh, to what we're saying about Final Fantasy 14. I think you're totally right to like link those two together. Yeah. Speaking of like day to day life and sort of, you know, waking up at the crack of dawn, <laughs> cleaning your horse. Oh, eat, eating beans so you're not dizzy when you <laughs> when you aim your gun that you have to clean. Mm-hmm. Dreaming of the one day that you will inevitably make it big, and this is just a slog till that day that will definitely happen with you and your crew eating beans so you're not dizzy. Uh, sorry, I don't know what this is. <laughs> I know you've been playing Red Dead Redemption Two again. No, I'm very excited. No, oh, the first. One. I'm playing the first one. Uh. You know, you know the good old days when you didn't have to eat beans so you mm-hmm. weren't dizzy? This that's, is, what, that's what I meant to say. This is my point, though, about Red yeah. Dead Redemption 1. <laughs> okay. So you you and I talked uh, like a month or two ago. They, they released Red Dead Redemption again for some reason. They just like, they kind of wiped the slate. Like you couldn't buy digitally on Xbox anymore, but now they have this new version of it. Same thing on PlayStation. Like they just have this new version. And it's not a remaster. It's just, it's just like the core game, right? Yeah. It seems to just be the game again, just like ported to more modern consoles. Um, and in that hullabaloo, they also added it to Switch, um, which is very much like here's just the game that you had on the Xbox 360 and the PS3. Like that's all it is. Yeah. Um, and you and I were like, how could you charge $60 for that? Like, that's- which is to be clear, this is something you and I almost never say. Like yeah. we, we, yeah, we, true. I think are almost like too chill with pricing sometimes. Like I, I th- <laughs> yeah. Cause I think it, on one hand, yes, you absolutely, absolutely should draw a line in the sand to not be like ripped off by giant companies. Yeah. However, there's also a lot of like angry gamer stuff around that where, you know, I see some people online genuinely say like, well, I say like, you know, I should get an hour for every dollar I pay. And like, mm-hmm. that's just ludicrous. Like it doesn't, there's so many different experiences. Un, for example, Undertale is a game that was $10 that like completely blew up, redefined RPGs and indie games. Yeah. And like, I would never expect a game $10 or less to be that significant. Yeah. Not to write it off, but it's just like, I, I you know, I just don't like that doesn't, lead to me saying therefore i will never pay 60 again because why would i pay 60 when undertale was 10 yeah you know it just it's hard you can't add, you can't really apply math to it and yeah and kind of on the flip side like the new which i'm i'm not gonna play just to be clear but like the new assassin's creed came out and is 70 dollars and is like that one that they say harkens back to the original assassin's creed games like it's no longer this giant open world rpg thing but it's closer to like the stealth mission based thing that they had in one and in like the two trilogy and three and four um i guess not even four but anyway that game came out and is like i don't know 15 hours long or something and cost 70 dollars, i think or you know is fully priced and people are like flipping out about it online it's like oh this is too short and i'm like that's actually the most i've wanted to play an assassin's creed game in a long time sure but then there's also the flip of like you and i have a video game podcast a 15 hour game is like music to our ears yeah, as we can see it through and then there are other people that like maybe assassin's creed is the one game they get that year because it's sort of like a swiss army knife experience where you yeah like like assassin's creed odyssey was this big thing but i know you're saying and that's that's my point too is like you can't it's not a one-size-fits-all thing yeah you know pricing is very complicated i do think the fact that 70 is becoming the new default is frightening to be honest yeah like especially too like 
I, I brought up Mortal Kombat 1 last episode. I'm enjoying it. But like that game is $70, is full of microtransactions, and is 100 gigs. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is like <laughs> trying to actually occupy all the space in my life. Like I just took it off my PS5 because I'm like, I, I need to update Baldur's Gate 3, man. I can't have another 100 gig game on this. <laughs> Why is this 100 gigs? Anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I think it, it's one of those situations where, not not to completely derail this conversation, but like, I, I, th- I think it's one of those cases where the industry is very much shooting itself in the foot in a pretty major way. Like I saw it was either the president of EA or Activision or just like s- some big fucking CEO somewhere. Some, <laughs> some, some, some corp money, weirdo, money you know? corp. Yeah. yeah. Uh, some money corp guy uh, was was giving an interview recently where he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, ga- games uh, cost too much to make right now. You know, so we seventy dollars. I don't know if seventy dollars is enough even to like charge and cover the costs. And it's like, how is that the only answer? How is the only answer to this problem is to, yes, we will continue making... You ignored the fir- you ignored the cause of the problem. Right, You know, yes. in that sentence, you <laughs> yes. know. Yes, like, make, make smaller games. Make yes. more smaller games. You don't need a thousand people on every team. Like, you can, you can take those teams and, and break them into smaller teams that make smaller, more interesting games. You know, it's like, it's kind of what you're seeing with the movie industry right now is the same thing with like all the major studios like are really just making the things that they think will appeal to the most people only instead of making things that will appeal to a smaller sect of people or like a broader range of people. You know what I mean? Exactly. And it's also hard to know what's actually going to be a mainstream hit. Like, again... Yeah, you can't just follow a formula to creative success. That's- I, I think Elden Ring being like a massively popular game, even outside of the normal like Souls fan base is kind of proof of that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that is, I mean that to be fair, that is also like a giant triple A high budget game, but like it is not worried. It's not a God of War Ragnarok where it's like, this has so massive of a budget. The game is terrified. You're going to miss any corner of it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think any money corp CEO out there would have put Elden Ring being the biggest thing on earth on their bingo card. You know, exactly. if, if you, if you had walked into a room and pitched exactly that game to somebody, I, I, I think they'd be like, yeah, that'll like hit the same target audience that the FromSoft stuff usually does. And like, exactly. that's probably it. I think also, I mean, there was that document from Xbox that said literally that about Baldur's Gate 3, right, where they yes. were like, oh, this is, you know, this is just for nerds, basically, yeah. like in corporate <laughs> speak, like the, the freaks will get this. And it's like massively eating Starfield's lunch, you yeah, know? Right. Um, so, and again, like all these games I listed, God of War, Starfield, I like all these games. I'm not trying to dunk on any of them. I just, and to Starfield's credit, I do think that was... While I find elements of it bland, it does feel like that was their vision for it. It doesn't feel like a compromised vision to appeal to the most people. Yeah. But that's a separate conversation. I, I, I just think, you know, again, we're at a point where like everything has to be bigger and better than the last and make the most money. I mean, that's actually something I was thinking about with EA. We're going to talk about the Dead Space remake later. And it's so ironic that we're at a point in time where Dead Space is being remade because when Dead Space came out in 2008, that was part of like a whole rebrand of EA. Yeah. Where EA was seen as like kind of just pumping out sports games and they're like, we're going to make all new IP. Yeah. That's when Mass Effect came out, Mirror's Edge. It was the era where they were consistently the consumer reports most hated brand in the world worst company in 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 america yeah which i don't um, just to be clear there are always worse companies than ea it's it's kind of funny it's just that weird it's gamers EA. online yeah, yeah. who are like okay we're just gonna funnel into ea not that ea didn't deserve it at the time also sure but, but there's uh, also like halliburton yeah exactly you know? like yeah like i know javik being five dollars is silly but you know at least they're not like they're not dumping fracking. oil into yeah into exactly. the <laughs> Gulf of Mexico. yeah but anyway like ea had this movement of like we're gonna do all 
all new IP, Mass Effect, Dead Space, Mirror's Edge, like so many great games, Brutal Legend, the Tim yeah. Schafer. All of these like classics of that era. It really was like a golden era for EA and it all those games did well critically. They all sold well, but they didn't make enough enough money. So a lot of those games were scrapped yeah. and, a, and then EA kind of went back to their normal practices. And then you can really see that tug of war in the Mass Effect trilogy which I adore, but like if you ever wanted like a brief crash course on like what companies tried to get away with DLC wise, play Legendary Edition and be shocked and horrored at what was once DLC. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I ever throughout that whole preparation, like we did our big episode with our friend Tamor Hussain about the Mass Effect trilogy. And during that whole preparation, you kept texting me like I'm retroactively mad at EA yeah. for making this DLC. Yes. Like this was like a narratively important moment. So many plot critical moments (laughs) were locked behind $15 of real United States money. So anyway, like everything, there's a lot of nuance here, but I just wanted to touch on, I think we kind of started eight different, like really big topics there, but... (laughs) You know, just saying like there's no reason this game should be that expensive. I think that carries a lot of like, uh, you know, weight to it. So I'm glad we got to explore like why. Totally. Yeah. And and I think I, I think it's worth just talking about specifically why I didn't feel like this was worth $60 is like, first of all, just like the Grand Theft Auto remaster trilogy that they did. What was that last year or two years ago? Like this is a thing that was already available. Like you could go buy it digitally on the Xbox store and play it on your Xbox already. Like it didn't need to be delisted and then re-uploaded for more money. You know, that doesn't make any sense. And then also I think the Grand Theft Auto trilogy is just one of those things where it came out and was so busted. Like I, yeah. even for me, like some, I'm somebody who is generally very gracious when it comes to the amount of bugs and stuff in these games but when that came out i remember playing san andreas uh the day it came out because it launched directly to game pass you know right after they had again delisted all these games which were already running running fine people like enjoyed the the mobile ports of those games already again removed and then re-uploaded and then you know costing 60 dollars for the trilogy and the game just like didn't function like I, i just could i couldn't get past the tutorial of the game because the quest kept breaking and like cutscenes didn't play out the right way. And it was like, I just, I can't, I can't in good faith recommend this to anybody. And I, in fact, I feel like I, I have a duty to do the opposite, you know? And this is also like, this is rockstar. They have the resources to do better. You know, like that's the other thing too, is like, this is not rune factory five company goes bankrupt mid production. This is rockstar who makes like millions, if not more every week from, GTA online. Exactly. Yes. You know, so I was kind of in this space where when when the Red Dead not again, not even re- just ports got announced. I was like, why would you be charging $60 for this? The only one that I was considering was on the switch. And that was based on performance. And I just really kind of sat back and waited for like a couple weeks after it came out to just see how people felt about it. And the response was like really positive. Like people were like, yeah, this runs exactly as well as it did on the Xbox 360 in some cases better, which is nice. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a shot because I haven't, I haven't played Red Dead Redemption since it came out. And when it came out on the Xbox 360, I played that game just nonstop until it was done, until I had seen everything there was to see in that game. Like that, yeah. that's one of those games for me that is like one of those tent poles of I just lost my life to this, you know? Yeah, I, I also love I mean, I know I was joking before about the can of beans, but I think like I'm not that into GTA, to be honest. Like I admire what they did Same. for sort of the open world genre. Like you can't ignore the influence of GTA three and Vice City and San Andreas. Yeah. But I just never really 
enjoyed sort of what was being asked of me. Um, in fact, usually I just tried to obey traffic laws and just see what happened. <laughs> and the game is almost like kind of waiting to explode at that. Yeah. Yeah. You can feel the tension of waiting at a stop sign. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember waiting at a red light and someone just like punched another person. Yeah. <laughs> like it was, the game was like, are you sure you don't want to? Of those games, the one I liked the most is Vice City because I found the tone to be the most kind of Looney Tunes. You know, like having that like 80s soundtrack and bright colors and sort of that Scarface. Yeah. Like, but like with a little bit more of like a Tarantino flavor to it. I was like, I was going to say weirdly the the, you know, for, for all we talk about games wanting to be more cinematic over time, the two games in the Grand Theft Auto lineage that I connect with the most are Vice City for that reason because of the Tarantino and Scarface influence and then Five because of its Michael Mann influence. Yeah. And right. in both of those cases and in actually every case of every Grand Theft Auto game, I've never finished any of them. I always burn out or I get bored at a certain point. I can never really see them through. And it's so funny to me that the games that Rockstar makes that I always connect with the most are the ones that aren't Grand Theft Auto. Like, I'm yeah. not even trying to be like a, a shitty snob about it. It's just like those are the ones that for some reason speak to me the most. I would draw a line from GTA 4 to the Red Dead duology. Yeah. Because in, in Grand Theft Auto 4, I think there was an attempt to ground it a bit. Like, I think they wanted to tell kind of a more dramatic story. Yes. And have the protagonist be like a little bit more likable, at least by comparison. <laughs> and there was that disconnect, right? That was the bubbling of ludonarrative dissonance conversations. Because like what you were kind of expected to do as a player of GTA versus like the story beats felt like they were in different realms. Mm -hmm. And I think five was actually smart to have three different characters where it's like, well, it's totally in character for one of these guys to play GTA yes. the way you would <laughs> normally do. You know, it almost felt like they characterized like what is the sort of sandbox player in the fiction of this game. Yeah. But I think with GTA four, there was like a little bit more of an emotional core there. And then Red Dead, I think, you know, you can still be like, Red Dead 1, you could still play however you want. You know, you could throw dynamite into a saloon and, and you know, rob people. But yeah, they have, they have a morality slider. You know, it, it pops up whenever you do stuff. I think the story really sees, is it John Marston or Marston? John Marston, yeah. Marston. They see him as like a overall good guy, I would say. Yeah. You know, like an antihero in some ways. Um, but like, I never really wanted to play that game, you know, evilly. And then in Red Dead 2, like... Good luck if you have enough to play it evenly. Like you are so strapped for cash <laughs> and resources, you kind of can't. It's trying to play like Tony Hawk in Death Stranding. It's like you maybe if you have enough, you could try. Your wheels like, are gonna get caught on a lot. Your wheels, yeah, exactly. And I think Red Dead One and Two, just by nature of being westerns, like they are inherently exploring morality. You know, yeah. Like especially Red Dead Two. I think like Red Dead Two is a game I have mixed feelings on mechanically. I think it, in some ways is like very bloated and tries to do too much and i think a lot of the systems don't aid the central themes but i think like the plot and the cinematography of, of that game are honestly really good like i think there's sort of this existential dread to this whole like red dead 2 to me feels like god of war 2018 where it feels like both games reflecting on their like edgelord legacy mm -hmm. you know and i actually do really enjoy that especially given the fact that so many westerns are kind of about that like a yes. lot of the most iconic Westerns are sort of about like dissecting and deconstructing like the cowboy John Wayne narrative. Yeah. So I also like I think I think in my opinion, these are by far rock stars like gift to the world is these two games. Yeah. And God <coughs> damn, did I forget how good Red Dead Redemption one is like. Yeah. 
from from go first of all just i'll I'll just say this on the switch runs perfectly like it's a dream i'm playing in handheld mode also i haven't played it docked like at all and in handheld mode runs perfectly but from go the first thing that happens is this incredible cutscene of just john marston sitting on a on a train car and it cuts between two conversations one conversation is the people behind him and one conversation is the people in front of him the conversation behind him is uh, a girl and a priest just like kind of talking about goodness and the idea of like ethics and heaven and who gets to go where and then in front of john is another conversation just about like what's happening in that time period and kind of setting you up to understand a little bit more about like the politics of the world in the West at that time. And he's just sitting there listening to both of these conferences, just eavesdropping on both simultaneously. And it's like one of the best written rockstar scenes, in my opinion. Like I, I just was so blown away by that moment. And then, um, and in relation to what we were talking about with final fantasy 14 and the trails games and things like that is it, you know, you begin that game by John Marston, you know, walking up to, the guy that he's like there to capture, right? He like just walks up. It's kind of, um, you know, this like little fort and he's like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take this guy myself. You know, I'm just going to go in just me. I'm a badass. I'm John Marston. It's going to be great. And you have this moment where you're like, okay, here it comes. We're like, we're really going to prove that this dude like absolutely fucks. You know, he's, he's going to like just rock this entire group of people. It's going to be this big action packed, awesome sequence to really kick off this game and get you in the headspace of like, this is Grand Theft Auto, but it's in the Wild West. Yeah. And he has this conversation that goes south so quickly. And some random guy who's not even the guy you're talking to just shoots John directly in the chest. And he he passes out for like a week <laughs> and, and wakes up on a farm and just has to do farm shit for like yeah. another hour. And I'm like, this is the, so... The ranch sequence is really long. Yeah. And it's so great. Like all the characters are fantastic. The, yeah. the banter between between John and the people on the farm. I, I absolutely love. There's a lot of chemistry between them. Yeah. yeah. And just like slowly opening up to people and you start to learn more about his backstory and why he's there and what he's doing um, while they're like teaching you the controls and like how to shoot a gun and stuff. Uh, But you're really just like herding cows and like clearing foxes away from hen houses and stuff. And it's so charming and it really just settles you into that world and asks you as the player to take things slower. It, It really literally puts you in the Grand Theft Auto position and then makes you watch as they tell you that that's not the kind of game you're playing. Yeah. Yes, it has a lot of the same, you know, under the hood mechanics, but you're asked to play it in a completely different way. And that that I think opening that the first like two or three hours to me, just fucking masterful. Like I completely forgot how incredible this game is. Like when I played Red Dead Redemption 1, I walked away from it thinking this is one of the best games ever made and I think it'll be hard to top this. And then I just like forgot about that <laughs> for the <laughs> following 10, 15 then years. Then you got Red Dead Zombies, baby. Yeah, yeah then they had Undead Nightmare, which does come, yeah. uh, t- to be clear, it does come with this purchase. Oh, good. It, I remember liking that actually. That I mean, that was very much in the thick of the every game has a zombies yes, mode absolutely. era, but it was fun. Which yeah, maybe, maybe I'll dip into that and talk about it during spooky season. But, oh yeah, um, perfect. But I, I just have fully snapped back into where I was when I played this game for the first time and just like I'm so, I'm so blown away by it. And for also having it on the switch and in handheld mode is amazing. One of the reasons I got it actually was because of I talked about it last week, but I got the Hori split pad compact, which is just like a way of more ergonomically holding the handheld switch. And what I found about the split pad compact specifically, I don't know about the pros or whatever, but the ones that I have is that it makes a lot of games that I would have considered 
better in docked mode to also work now in handheld mode in the same way like the steam deck being bigger and chunkier means that i feel better about playing games like elden ring or first person shooters and things like that like on the steam deck games that i absolutely would not play on the switch in handheld mode having the split pad compact makes me feel a lot better about playing these kind of like deeper larger more system rich games that have more intense controls behind them so weirdly the two games i'm playing on the switch right now are red dead redemption and borderlands 3 which just launched on switch oh nice just, i don't know why they just like a announced it and then released it on the same day, which was very strange. But I'm playing that. And honestly, that game also, I'm having a great time with it on the split pad compact in a way that I didn't when I tried playing Borderlands 2 on my Switch with just regular Joy-Cons. Um, so all of that having been said, Red Dead Redemption has just become my like, I'm watching something on TV or I really like want to just settle into bed and just play something for like an hour before I fall asleep. It is a great game for that. You know, if, if I'm going to really like lock into cutscenes and be like, okay, I'm going to progress the story right now. Just plug headphones into the switch. Let that good ass John Marston dialogue wash over me. <laughs> um, it's been, it's been so good. And, and just like to go back on the price thing, I still think $60 is maybe too much for this in, in a lot of ways, but I can see the value in it being a game being ported to a completely new console where it didn't exist before. Like sure, that, that's yeah. that's where I become OK with it, I think. When you're just replacing a cheaper version that existed and not really changing that much and still charging that much, that's when I start to bristle. But the fact that they took this game, ported it to the Switch, and it's like good. Because I've seen a lot of conversation online that's like, oh, it's an Xbox 360 game. It better run perfectly. It's like that's not as much as I agree with that. That's not always the case. We've seen time and time again, games get ported to the Switch and absolutely get fucked, right? Like yeah. I think the Outer Worlds the obsidian one is a clear example of a game that like when that launched on the switch just looked bad and like didn't run really very well yeah um or mortal kombat one mortal kombat one yeah it it, and it took as far as i know like a year for them to get outer worlds like running correctly on the switch um and even still i actually tried playing that again recently and like it still doesn't look great i would still rather play that on the xbox but the fact that this game just like launched on switch looks and plays exactly as i remember and is handheld and i can take it with me beautiful also just looks great on the oled like the sunsets and stuff oh yeah i'm sure the colors are stunning i think i would be cooler with the 60 if it was not previously available you know that's what you kind of said before yeah but uh you are making me want to go back regardless of price i do want to experience this game again it's been a long time for me yeah i I do kind of want to go back to two as well i just like i played a lot of two and it just never really like again i felt i felt overwhelmed by it and i felt like it was giving me a lot of tasks <laughs> <laughs> yeah i never i never had my moment with two i think i think maybe i will i think i i'm gonna keep chipping away at the original on on switch and see how i feel by the time that's done um, yeah because may- maybe by the time i'm done with that i'm like i i will want to see more of this you know yeah I, I mean i know i have a lot of friends who have finished two that like really adore the narrative yeah but uh again it's like we have we have many long-term projects here it's hard to <laughs> it's another giant game so yeah well hey that's that's games that aren't scary we figured out pricing we figured out the west we figured out subscriptions into the aether consultancy llc strikes again (laughs) we figured out every industry problem there is why don't we take a break and come back talk about pumpkins and ghouls and ghosts and goblins whenever i call my dad we end the phone call by one of us will go so we get it (laughs) <laughs> That's like little, every phone call ends that way. And I almost did that for us here. It's kind of a humbling way to admit you know nothing after <laughs> after trying to figure things out, you know? We do get it. Yeah, it's, I think there should be a version of goodbye that is like a polite way of saying like, 
Don't even think about what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. I think you figured yeah. it out. I think it's forget about it. That's what that means. Oh. Whoa. All right. See you later. Bingo. See ya. Forget about it. Right. <laughs> it's spooky season. We're back, baby. I had so many weird decorations growing up where you push a button and it'll go like, yeah. like, like shake. I um, love I love this new era we're in where they have like the they have the 12 foot Home Depot skeleton, which everybody loves. Have you seen the new one? The the Target Jack-O-Lantern? No, I haven't. There's a <laughs> you're, you're going to I'm going to send you a video after we're done with this. But it's a, like a Jack-O-Lantern head wearing a hat or sorry, wearing a hood on top of like a kind of skeletal, almost like scarecrow body. And he's like eight or nine feet tall. And when you stand in front of him and wave, he goes, I am not a jack-o'-lantern. My name is Lewis. <laughs> and he is like taking the world by storm. Like everyone is obsessed with Lewis. I love him. A I'm lot, of, a lot see... of Target employees have started putting like a Target employee name tag on him that just says Lewis. Like, oh, wow. It's amazing. Yeah I, yeah, I love it. <laughs> just the shift of Halloween decorations that we've gotten into where it's like, Halloween's become so silly that we could just have Lewis. Yeah, I've brought this up before, but in the hometown we grew up in, there were those two houses that took like, yeah, they were like rival hall. Like they were the places to go on your trick or treat route. Yeah. I lived around the corner from there. Yeah. One went like super graphic. Like they must have been like a set designer or something because mm. like it would be like some dude with like, you know, his guts falling out on like a beach chair. And then one of them actually sat in the chair and would like get up. Yeah. So if you wanted like pure like biohazard horror, that was one house. The other house went pure goofy. There was like a big bat and like a weird awning. And yeah. like. That house reigned supreme eventually. I think the other house got complaints at a certain point because, like, parents were like, "Hey, can you not show my kid like you know the dige- the whole digestive system on yeah. their route to getting candy?" And and one of the things about that house too was also the placement of it. Like, it was smack dab in the middle of the town. So if you if you needed to go anywhere to go trick or treating on Halloween, you had to pass. You had to walk by that specific house. Yeah. So yeah. every parent would walk by, and be like shielding their eyes. <laughs> you know, like. Not letting their kids look to the right. They're like, oh, I want to go in that house. There's a lot going on. It's like, no, 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 no. We don't, no, no, we don't no, go no, near no. that house. We don't go near that. That's actually a haunted place. You have to be a teen. Yeah. I can't wait to be a teen. This, this house is rated T for teen. Yeah. They had a big sign. It was a very, <laughs> it, we, we were sponsored by the ESRB. <laughs> anyway, two square miles of ESRB. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's spooky Halloween games yeah I I wanted to give just a quick update just like the quickest of updates but last week I brought Resident Evil 4 separate ways I was maybe about halfway into it Um, if you didn't listen to last week's episode it is the expansion to Resident Evil 4 um, bringing back separate ways, which was uh, uh, an expansion to the original Re- Resident Evil 4. We played as Ada Wong, another character who is like doing stuff alongside Leon S. Kennedy. Um, and she shows up in the story every once in a while. But in separate ways, you got to play as Ada and like see what her side of the story was. I will say now that I finished it, it is incredible. It is like just as good as the base game. Um, 
there are a lot of interesting added mechanics that I absolutely love. I think the story is great. They have changed it pretty dramatically. I just think the moments in which you run into Leon or like help him out without him even knowing will retroactively make your playthroughs of Resident Evil 4 more interesting, like knowing what Ada is doing in the background. The end is fantastic. I love, like I mentioned last week, I just like love her voice acting. I just, it's like so great. Such a great character who like really jumps off the screen for me. I don't think this is a spoiler to say, but like the Wesker stuff is so funny because he's just such a goofy character. Yeah, he, I think making him like... I feel like he has kind of Vince McMahon energy, but even more cartoonish, you know, like having him be the villain of Resident Evil. He kind of reminds me, too, of like the bad guy in House of the Dead, of just like the guy with the sunglasses. Yeah, who just picks up the phone. Yeah, Yeah, it is like, good. Everything's going according to plan. Yeah. It's funny, too, because like in the first game, Wesker is like just one of the other cops. So it's actually kind of a twist that he becomes like the bad guy. Yeah. But now he's just like cartoonish proportions of villainy. Yeah. Uh, They've really ratcheted that up in separate ways in Resident Evil 4 Remake also, which I think I think you'll appreciate when you get to it. I just I just wanted to shout it out. I I played it um, one and a half times at this point. I'm like on a new game plus playthrough of separate ways, because just like in the base game, you unlock a bunch of stuff when you're done with it. And I also just want to get a higher score than I did last time. But you got to do better. You got to do better. But Man, is it fucking good. I I think like with separate ways now out in the same year as the base game releasing, I I just think Resident Evil 4 remake is like a slam dunk for anybody who liked the original and people who didn't even play the original. I I just it's it's spectacular. You should definitely check it out. I'll I'll probably bring it up. uh, We're talking about the Dead Space remake later and not even just because they're both remakes, but there's so much shared history between those two games that like. We will have to use it as a reference point, which almost feels unfair. Yeah. But I, I think Resident Evil 4, for what we say a lot, and this kind of goes back to, you know, delisting and then relisting a pricier version of Red Dead Redemption is like for you and I, we care a lot about game preservation. And I think remakes can sometimes be like a replacement for preserving the original. Yeah. And I think in Resident Evil 4's case, it's like the best of all worlds where one, you can get Resident Evil 4 on any platform. It's like widely available and has been for a very long time. And then it's also kept the influence of that game alive, you know? Yeah. Like, I think the other thing, too, is like when games aren't preserved, it's harder to see their long term impact or to even have that impact. Mm. You know, look at a game we talked about when Will was on, like Earthbound and uh, New Vegas. I was at Lost Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Earthbound, I mean, Earthbound was not preserved notably for a long time, but was kept alive by a lot of fan communities and emulation. And New Vegas, I think, hasn't really had its like critical reevaluation until the last few years. Mm. So we don't really know when a game will like hit. I think we're so conditioned to have it be like upon release. You know, when we think about film, so many of our the most celebrated studied films were like commercial and critical bombs when they came out 2001 a space odyssey not a bomb but like kind of a mixed reception yeah it's it's such a classic thing like in art in general like across all mediums famous photographers who aren't discovered until after they pass away like vivian meyer comes to mind like it just it happens all the time yeah so i just think it's like it's like culturally important to preserve all this stuff but i think again resident evil 4 widely available and then the remake not only kind of I think successfully captured what made that game great, but it exists alongside the original and is very unique. I mean, they feel like distinct games from one another. Mm. I also think it's, I don't know how intentional this was, but I think from my point of view, 
Resident Evil 4 remake is kind of like a reminder of how AAA can and should be. Mm. You know, that game is very high budget. A lot of work went into it. It's not like that game was like, it by all means, a big and, and expensive production, but it's a game you can like, it's very focused on what it's trying to do. You can beat it. You can replay it multiple times and get something out of it. It feels so alien to how a lot of AAA games are built now. Yeah. And I think like, you know, something like Resident Evil 4 remake and Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, again, wildly expensive production, but like they both kind of know what they want to do and they get in, they get out. You know, I think that's so important for AAA. I don't want a game that never ends and feels like it's doing that just because it has to. Right. You know, because that's, I think what, the, that's what the market wishes for yeah and i think maybe that's it maybe it's less size and scope and more just like what is the mission of this game you know Mm -hmm. like what what did you want me to feel or did you just want me to not feel anything and play this forever (laughs) you know you you wanted the dopamine hit when i unlock the the new cool (laughs) game exactly and then i want to pay 40 dollars for a hat (laughs) i want to pay 40 dollars for a hat now that's spooky Ooh. Anyway, I'm I'm so excited to f- I haven't played the DLC yet, but I really want to. You're going to fucking love it. The the yeah. la- the last act is just incredible. I also might like I haven't unlike you, I've only finished the game once. Mm. I finished it at two very close friends of mine were over and they watched me play it and it was so funny. The the rating I got at the end was B. So it's like I can't escape the the legacy of B. So like of course I had to replay it to get a better rank. But I definitely want to see it through again before game of the year just to have it like fresher in my mind. Mm. Uh, and I'll definitely do Ada's campaign as well. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. But that's not what we're here to talk about. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're this here to talk about two games that you've been talking about playing for a long time. I'm really excited to hear how you felt about them. Yeah. So I've played two games that are directly related. Uh, one is a pretty direct sequel to the other. I have played Milk Inside a Bag of Milk Inside a Bag of Milk and milk outside a bag of milk outside a bag of milk they're both developed by nikita kirikov very small development team i think the first game like might just be them and then the second game has kind of clearly like a bigger budget and like has animations and and sort of a more direct graphical presentation um these are both sort of visual novel horror games i'll say up front they're both very heavy they both tackle like struggling with mental illness like pretty severely and you know it depends on how you define horror they're definitely scary i wouldn't say they're like gratuitous or graphic i would say they're more kind of like deeply unsettling Mm -hmm. than outright horrifying but what i'm most impressed by so i played through both of them it's worth noting inside a bag of milk is 99 cents on steam and takes 20 minutes to beat kind of a no-brainer yeah damn definitely like be prepared for some content warnings but i think that game is just worth it. it's so cool and uh basically the like visual presentation of the first game is very minimal it's basically just text and uh you'll see like a it only uses like two or three colors it's usually red and purple and you'll see like a very heavily distorted view of something. So it almost kind of reminds me of like a more kind of like a uh, grungy Obra Dinn in terms of having that kind of like early PC presentation. Mm. And the mu- the music for both games is like really cool. It's very like kind of reminds me a little bit of Kentucky Route Zero. Like it's very kind of creepy and ambient. Definitely doesn't have the, the folk melodies of that game, but all the sort of like more ambient music reminded me of that and the first game is basically uh this girl is trying to go to a convenience store and buy a bag of milk and 
it's clear that like she's at a point with her mental health that like doing even that simple of a task was like a huge burden. So to help her through it, she said like, I'm going to pretend I'm the protagonist of like a visual novel so I can, I'll have to narrate my thoughts out loud and that way I can kind of keep them in track because if someone else is reading them, uh-huh. my, my mind won't wander to crazy places. Yeah. And I think that's like a really, I, I, I like that framing device a lot. I think it has the potential of maybe being too meta, but it really works. And it creates a really interesting role for the player where like the text you're reading is sometimes the narration of her thoughts. And then sometimes she's like talking directly to the player and you're choosing lines of dialogue. And usually the lines of dialogue are like either kind of comforting her and trying to like guide her through it or like intrusive thoughts of like you're pathetic or you're this or whatever. And sometimes you can't really choose, which I think makes the role of the player kind of ambiguous where Mm. it's like, I think even this person she's like trying to create for you in her mind is being sometimes dragged back by her own, you know, mental patterns. Yeah. There's a really like, and I think that's the thing that surprised me the most about this game. I obviously, you know, mental health is a very sensitive and personal topic. And there are, there are a lot of games that I love that I think have tackled it very successfully. Like Celeste, I think is a great example of a game that like is very cartoony and bright, but I think very accurately explores like what living with extreme anxiety can be like. Yeah. And almost imparts like coping mechanisms and ways through it in a lot of ways, which I think, yeah. is, you know, almost going the extra mile in a lot of cases when it comes to exploring that stuff in, in media. I think it's also like in some ways they're kind of similar where I think, you know, in that game, Madeline has told herself, like, I need to climb this mountain. Like, I need to, like, do this thing for myself. It's a metaphor. Would you would you believe it, dear listener? <laughs> Dude, I have a poster of Celeste where the mountain is also, like, exiting a cave. Like, it works visually both ways. Oh, Very that's cool. cool. Yeah. Anyway, in this case, like, just be like, okay, I need to go to a store and do this thing. I think anyone who is, you know, the game very purposely doesn't name what the character is going through. Yeah. Which I think even the character says, like, I don't want to share that. And it's actually a really... One, I think it's very like the pitfall of a horror game that explores mental health, I think, is like almost demonizing the person or like kind of exploiting the condition to be like, isn't this fucked up? Yes. And the game is like very empathetic towards the character. And what's really beautiful and also tragic about the game is like you get a very strong sense of her personality. Like she's really funny. She's really witty you genuinely enjoy the dialogue with her as this like external force. And I think that that to me is what hit me the hardest where it's like, I have friends who I know are going through their own version of this. And from the outside, it's like, why are you, why are you worried? Like, you're great. Like you're funny. Like you're charming. Like, why would you think otherwise? And I think that's what the game is really doing is showing like even this person who is like able to very confidently carry themselves in some ways just doing this errand is like a video game. <laughs> yeah, it is a it is a you know this journey, and and of course you know you go into the store and all the shopkeepers are like distorted monsters. They're not like super graphic. They're just kind of unsettling. And you guide her through it, and then there's this moment you have where like she kind of starts to open up more, but you know, either the meds kick in or something happens and she goes back home and, and it ends. Mm -hmm. Um, and I won't spoil kind of what's implied or what happens, but it's honestly a really powerful, like 20 minute thing. I think if you're in the right headspace for it, 
I found it to be really effective. And I'm always impressed by games that can like say more in under an hour than some can in like 30. Yeah, absolutely. So and I think what's also interesting is like you could replay it. And I feel like, you know, you could choose different dialogue options. I don't think it really changes much in the first game. But what's kind of implied is that maybe this is happening more than once. Mm. You know, that's my read on it, at least like the game. Yeah, the, way, the, the title implies that even. Exactly. And and the way the game kind of kicks you back to the beginning is like, OK, like this is her next attempt at doing this kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I, I thought the first game was great. And then I had gotten the second game uh, outside a bag of milk. It was on sale in this like there was like a visual novel day on steam and a lot of visual novels were like deeply discounted and i saw this and this looks really interesting i had heard someone recommend it at some point Mm. i think there was a usually for october i'll i'll sometimes ask people like what are the horror games i should check out and i remember seeing someone recommend this like series i guess so milk inside a bag of milk noticeably right away it's like a bigger production like it opens with like an anime cutscene. You see like the character walking, you know, to her home and there's some like recurring imagery from the first game. And I don't want to say it's better than the first, but like there's just more of it. Like you actually get to see this character and there's some really stylistic depictions of like her at home looking in the mirror and the background kind of being weird. This is really important sequence where she internalizes all her thoughts as fireflies and you have to like help her find them in her room Mm. and it becomes kind of like a point and click adventure and the biggest difference is from the first game other than the presentation being like a little bit you know more clear more than tritone yeah because it feels like like the game and i think that's purposeful given the titles of the game the first game feels like you're very much from her perspective Mm -hmm. the second game feels like you're getting an outsider's perspective on her life like you're seeing her Mm. in third person wow and all the dialogue choices you can make you'll get there's like five or six different endings and i got an ending and i definitely want to replay it to see what the other ones are like but i do think there's a way in which the game ends that kind of unifies all of them. Mm. Even if you get an ending and you're like, I don't really know what that meant or why it happened. There, There is sort of a sequence, in my opinion, that like all the endings arrive at that shows some type of progress. I Interesting. Think. You said it takes like an hour, right? Yeah, it's like an hour long, probably a little bit longer if you <laughs> want to replay it and see the other endings. Right. It's definitely, you know. I think purposely, like even the character at one point says like, I tried visual novel before, but now I want to try like a point and click game. I feel like it <laughs> it has the mechanics of that. And also the fact that it has multiple endings, that like there's more you can see and more yeah. the dialogue can affect things. I, I think you would love them both. I think like in terms of content warnings, like it's got some pretty disturbing imagery. It never like, I think it, I think it implies more than it shows. Um, I think there's like probably a lot of different fan theories on like what's even happening in some ways. Yeah. It reminds me of like a more dialogue driven Yumi Nikki in some ways. But I think unlike Yumi Nikki, where I love that game, but I I found that like because the character was silent and you're exploring her dreams and her dreams are all like inherently like messed up imagery. I found that the character was more defined by her illness in this game, I feel like you get such a strong sense of character that like, you know, like you want her to be better and you know that she has like, it's tough with, with a mental illness because it is still part of you. It's not like something you can remove from yourself, but I think not have like, I could describe her character to you without 
describing her condition, mm-hmm. which I think is the sign of good writing where it's like, it's not just like she's, she's defined by this thing plaguing her. Right. Like she has, she has more to show for herself. And that's what makes the moments where you get to talk to her so enjoyable and like really makes you invested in her well-being. Uh, I think these games are awesome. I, I think if you're in an okay place, like they, even though they're technically horror games and they're very dark, I also found them weirdly kind of empowering in some ways. Mm. Cause it also shows you that like, it is a constant battle. Like it is like a day, like having any type of, of mental illness is like a daily thing you have to go through, but it doesn't mean you can't find pockets of the day to reclaim for yourself. Right. Um, and yeah. even if that's the only victory, I think that's like very effective, especially in a game to communicate that. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm, I'm always iffy about playing these kinds of games. Cause like, I mean, everything that you described is like stuff that I have gone through and do go through like pretty yeah. frequently, you know? And I'm like, how much do I want to sit myself down and play a video game? That's like, Hey, sure. Doesn't this suck when you do this <laughs> and it, and it happens to you. But I, I think knowing that on the other end, it comes out being a little bit more empowering than just like, I don't know. I, I played and, and I'm, I'm sure somebody who has played this will chime in and, and tell me if I'm wrong on this, but like I played Omori and that game, I, I didn't finish it. I got like, I don't know, two or three hours into it. And I was like, I, ca- I can't keep doing this. Like, this is like, this is way too on the nose for me. And like, maybe that game also ends in a way that like feels nice. But at the same time, it, it just, it felt exploitative of like feelings that I and like people I know have. And that that's what I, I mean. I haven't played enough Amori to comment on that game, but that's, that was my hesitation with these two is yeah. like, I think, I and mean, that's kind of why I've been mentioning how I think the character being so likable and like having these moments where it does feel more just like a visual novel and that's like a horror game yeah uh it's not it's not like making a show out of her condition what's that one we played last oh um doki doki literature club is one that uh we played last year or i think i played last year you played two, yeah i still haven't got two years it. ago yeah. and that that was another one where at the end of that i was like i just i find this to be like deeply problematic like i get yeah. i get why people like this and connect with it but at the end of the day i just found it so exploitative and like not treating its subject matter with any kind of respect at all. It was just using it for exactly what you were saying. Like it's just using it to be like, dude, isn't this twisted? Yeah. I just, this is a hard thought for me to communicate because I think ultimately it's a net positive that like as a society, I think we all feel more empowered to like speak about our mental health. Yeah. But there is, I sometimes see like a weird trendification of it. And I don't know how to describe that, but do you know what I mean? Like I, d- I literally saw an ad on TikTok yesterday that was how rare is your type of ADHD? Yes, that's what I mean. Where- it was like an advertisement that like wanted me to pay to take a test and like, I don't know. And that's why I appreciated this game because it's like, well, it's definitely respectful of the condition. It's like, this shit fucking sucks. I don't want to wear a t-shirt that says what medication I take. Like, this is not something I think there's definitely like owning your condition. And I think that's what I love about Celeste, where it's like Madeline is able to accept her other self very much like Persona 4, where it's like, you know, these intrusive thoughts, this anxiety, it is part of me and I can't suppress it. I have to own it. I think there's also like, you know, especially now that the creator has like come out as trans and, and transitioned, like I think there's a huge trans story there too about kind of accepting your identity. Absolutely. Yeah. And the great thing about Celeste is that it can, it can apply to a number of different stories, which is why I think that game hit so many people so personally. Yeah. But I think like playing this game, I found it to be like a breath of fresh air despite being horror games where it's mm. like the shit is bad. It holds this person back and they need help. It's not something to flaunt or gatekeep, you know? Like, yeah, right. Uh, and I, I just kind of like needed to see that after getting similar ads on, on TikTok or other services. Yeah. So I, th- I think you I think you might really like them. You know, uh, 
it's definitely like you have to be in an okay headspace, but I found them to be both really moving. Yeah. Um, you played them on Steam Deck? I actually played them on Mac. So the weird thing is like... Macintosh. They both play Macintosh. <laughs> they both require like keyboard inputs. Oh. And I found that like when okay. I try to do that on Steam Deck, it like crashed the game. So I, I just played them on Mac with like mouse and keyboard. They're also on Switch. That could be interesting. I don't know how the, the keyboard would work, but... Yeah, I think I'd rather play this on Mac. I think it's I think it's better just to play on Mac or PC because like it's just clicking stuff and then typing stuff occasionally. Yeah. And I think being able like being able to type uh, isn't super important. But when it does come up, you don't want it to be like a burden because it could throw off the pacing of the game. Mm, yeah. So that's that's the milk games. Uh, I think people call outside a bag of milk milk two uh, for short, which I kind of like. I would love to see a third one, honestly. I think there's like enough room for iteration here that I could see this being like a pretty neat trilogy. Because as much as I took away a sense of progress from the two games, I think there's there's more work to do for this poor protagonist uh, that I would love to see kind of happen in a third game. Mm. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, cool. they're, they're both wonderful. Yeah, yeah I uh, I just picked them up. I, uh, oh, nice. I'll check them out at some point. And maybe after that one, we take a break before we come back and talk about the other stuff that we have on the, on the docket. Sounds good to me. Cool. cool. Well, let's talk later. And then we get to hear AJ's new, exciting, incredible yes! Halloween break uh, sound, which is just a delight now that i like see you soon Happy Halloween! and we're back in the show i want to talk about a game that i played this week that i didn't realize was going to be uh eligible to be discussed in the spooky season playlist but uh i i started playing el paso elsewhere on my on my xbox um, it's a new game by Strange Scaffold, which um, if you've been watching the like indie game space, you've probably seen this team release about 400,000 games in the past, I don't know, two years or so. It, obviously, obviously exaggerating, but like they're releasing a ton of stuff. And I'm always so impressed by how different their stuff is. Like, I, I think the the games that really stood out to a lot of people are uh, Space Warlord Oregon Trading Simulator, which like people really connected with. An Airport for Aliens, currently run by dogs, was another one. That oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. People like loved. And and what I found about this team is that they're like so great at making stuff that plays really well to people who are online, you know, just like people who are uh, like talking about things on social media, like everything looks visually like something you would want to share with other people frequently both the titles or the content of the games are things that I feel like just play generally very well to like marketing. Like I just think, I just think this team is very good at creating games that market very well, like without even needing to do much by way of like huge marketing spend. You just tell somebody, Hey, we made a game called an airport for aliens currently run by dogs and you play as all the dogs. It's like, oh, shit. OK, yeah, easy. I'm in. Great. Um, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. So they released this new game called El Paso Elsewhere, which I, I saw some footage of and I was like, this just looks cool. It has like this kind of, you know, PS1 era throwback retro vibe, which is, I think, a thing that you and I talk about all the time wanting more of. Right. Is is like, you know, there, there's a lot of pixel art out in the world and I love pixel art. Don't get me wrong. So do you like I, I think. The fact that there are so many people making incredible pixel art these days is amazing. Like Blasphemous 2, for example, is one that I just played that like just blew me away. It's like I didn't even know you could do that with pixel art. Like people are still finding new ways to express themselves in that way. But I feel like where we're at in terms of game creator tools 
right? Like engines that people can get for free and make games in. We're kind of at a space where making 3D stuff is not as difficult as it used to be, right? Like whereas pixel art and 2D side-scrolling stuff seem to be like the go-to for most indie developers because that was the thing that you could make on the budgets that you could get or like the things that you could do in your off time. 3D is now kind of open to that as well because tools have become like better and cheaper and just more accessible. And that that rocks. So what we're starting to see, I think, is more people looking back at like the PlayStation 1 and the N64 as their frame of reference for what they mean when they say retro. Um, and that's why we're, I think, also getting things like Bomb Rush Cyberfunk, right, that are like hearkening back to the Dreamcast. Like, I just think that era of early 3D is starting to like come into vogue in a real big way, which I think, I mean, it's music to my ears and probably yours as well, based oh, on yeah. conversations we've had since 2018 on this podcast. Yeah, um, I, I feel like it's, uh, you know, every era goes through like the awkward puberty years until it becomes nostalgic. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, you and Christian Spicer talked about how the PS3 is currently in the puberty, like uncanny valley. Yes. Old years. But like we're like two years away from the PS3 blowing the fuck up. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but the PS1 and 64 and and. uh Dreamcast, I think, and it really depends on the game. But like, I think there's a there's a stylistic presentation to a game like Ocarina of Time or Jet Set Radio or you know Skies of Arcadia that is like it's interesting. So I would I would use the term timeless to describe something like Chrono Trigger or a lot of Super Nintendo, Super Mario worlds, mm-hmm. timeless because again we see so many games, Sea of Stars or any yes. of the dozens of of side scrolling platformers that come out. It feels relevant still. I think now I wouldn't say timeless for early 3D, but it's like specifically a time yeah. that people <laughs> actually want to revisit. Yes. You know, which I guess is retro, right? That's what retro means. It's it's a it's a desired journey backwards. Yeah, absolutely. And El Paso Elsewhere seems to be taking taking some big inspiration from the Max Payne series, but Max Payne started on the PS2 and this is very much it seems to me inspired by like N64 PS1 era. So you have almost like a demake energy to it in yeah. terms of in terms of what it's going for visually. The opposite end of the spectrum, it does feel very modern in the way it's using like lighting and color and it and it seems to be um, I, I think I think this game has a really strong like visual identity to itself because there's a lot of like dark green neon, a lot of really interesting lighting all over the place uh, because the game is really trying to elicit this like otherworldly vibe because you play as a character who uh, needs to or is a monster and vampire hunter specifically who is trying to stop the end of the world via his ex, who I think is like the queen of the vampires. And you just need to like almost make your way through these 3D Hotline Miami-esque spaces to just progress until you get to that end point however you possibly can and the ways in which you interact with that world are all of these vampires are just kind of like hanging out in these spaces the opening of the game takes place in what seems to be like an apartment complex or like a hotel or something um and you're just like running through floors of this hotel um and there it's like level based so you're running through like a floor and then the next floor and then the next floor but while you're running through them there's no ceiling in the space that you're in so you just see this like strange like cosmic nothingness above you as you run around and just like shoot all these vampires but also as you're running through these spaces when you make your way like through a room 
a new room will spawn at the end of that or like a new pathway will open up that wasn't there before and the, and the world will start to be like doubling back on itself and creating these spaces that feel impossible which i think is just something that video games are very good at in general and i i find that some people use that for puzzles and some people use that for this exact kind of thing which is just like adding to the emotional resonance of how strange the space you're in is and how otherworldly it can be and that there's like forces greater than you manipulating the world around you but the way you actually play the game is you're running around you have these guns like max Payne. you can jump into the air and like slow time down whenever you want so you have like your health meter and next to that is your like slow down time meter so you jump into the air like launch yourself into the air and you do the like kind of john woo like slow down time aim around like you know shoot four vampires in the head before you hit the ground while you're on the ground you could like continue holding down the freeze time button and you could like stay on the ground and like shoot guys before you stand back up like the game and this team just wants you to feel as cool as humanly fucking possible simultaneously the character's going through a lot right because like they need to go kill their ex which is i think a pretty heavy thing to need to do in the first place yeah but on top of that they are more content warning struggling with a, a drug addiction that seems to be like i've i've completely thrown away getting off of all of these drugs because i need them now to be able mm. to do what i'm doing and 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 complete this like journey this quest so they're like knocking back pills which is how you how you restore your health but it's clearly gonna have some kind of trade-off in the future that i i haven't gotten to yet in the game because the game i think is like 10 ish hours something in that vicinity and i think i played like two or three at this point but generally speaking i just think like this team is so interesting to me because they just keep making games like it, it the rate at which they're releasing stuff is so fast and they seem to be either working on things simultaneously or having really truncated development processes for all of these games yeah and this is one that I think really stands out to me is like if they wanted a bigger budget to make a larger scale version of this game or do something like this, I think they could probably find a way to do it simultaneously the the lead developer of this team has been very vocal in interviews specifically I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes but gave an interview with ign recently that was like we did pitch this game to a lot of people to try and secure more funding and they were not interested in it you know they, they just thought that this game wouldn't sell and that it wouldn't work out so we were able to secure some funding but not as much as we had initially planned on and they've talked about how they kind of like it that way. Like they, they don't want as much money. Like some people were coming to them and saying like, you know, we can give you $300 million for this game. And they're like, we don't need $300 million for this game. Like we only need like this much. And they're like, well, if we're not going to be investing this much money in it, then we don't know if there's going to be a return. And he's been very vocal in interviews being like, this is uh, just another way of pointing at how this industry is broken right now that yes. you feel like you need to invest this X amount of money or else a game can't be a hit. Like it needs to be a triple A gigantic thing. And not everything does. Not every idea needs to be that. Yeah, there's almost like a it's like weirdly synonymous with the middle class disappearing where it's like yes. there are no like mid budget games. It's either like you are two people in a bedroom like making a game together <laughs> yeah. or a multi-million dollar budget for modern consoles. Yeah, you know? right. And and I, I yeah, that that middle area is so strange right now. I mean, like even look at something like Immortals of Avium, which feels like, okay, here's like an interesting, a a. Yeah, yeah. A, an interesting swing from EA, which, you know, we'll talk about that later, but like an interesting swing from EA that was like a kind of double A budget for them in the hopes that if it did well enough, it could be a triple A budget. And like, it didn't make enough money, quote unquote, just like the history of EA didn't make enough money for them to want to continue funding that studio. And they shut the studio down already, which 
which is like wild to me because that game yeah. I think is a great just like Assassin's Creed one birthed this huge franchise. Like that was a great proof of concept for what Assassin's Creed two became. I think Immortals of Avium is a great proof of concept for what could have been a great sequel, but they just like cut it off there. So anyway, point being this team tried to secure funding and was frequently told like, you're not asking for enough money and therefore we won't fund it. And I, I think it's really incredible what they've managed to do with what they have and what they continue to do with what they have. And the fact that they're able to continue pumping out these games that just like play so well in the online space, but also play so well literally with the controller when you're playing them as as the player is really, really remarkable to me. The, my my one note of feedback on this game is that I just feel like the you, you get stakes that you can use to like stab vampires, like do a melee hit. And that just like I just can never get that to feel right. <laughs> um, and the thing about stakes is you need to you have a very limited amount and you need to like break wooden objects around you to be able to get more of them. So like if you see a dresser in the corner in a room that you go into, you can like melee the dresser to like get a stake out of it, which is I, I love that. But that said, like meleeing the the wooden objects feels pretty good but then meleeing the vampires feels bad which i feel like i would almost Should want to reverse it that. Yeah, yeah right exactly it just it just, just a strange disconnect whereas everything else like really locks into place for me i just have to give a huge shout out to the voice acting it is like no joke steven some of the best voice acting i've ever heard and i think it's just the lead developer i think he just did it himself it's remarkable it's That's like amazing it got me so into the game so quickly before i'd even started playing the game just like hearing the opening cutscene and the voice direction in that i was like on the edge of my seat so excited to just start playing the game which is what you want an opening cutscene like that to do um yeah. and every once in a while there are needle drops also that are just these like incredible incredible tracks it reminds me so much of when i booted up samurai gun for the first time and i just sat back and listened to that title screen for like 20 minutes before i even started playing the game but in this case it happens like almost diegetically in game like once you start killing enough vampires they're like you know what would make you feel really cool is if we started playing the sickest music you've ever heard in your fucking <laughs> life. um and it rocks i i just i i'm really impressed by this game and i'm, ex I'm excited to play more of it um it just it has such a unique voice and such a, such a cool vision and i've never really connected with the max Payne games i've tried playing them in the past and just like they didn't really work for me yeah in a lot of cases this is this is a game that i think almost leapfrogs over the thing that it's inspired by and i think manages to accomplish what that game wanted to do better than it did um which you know i i think that's not going to be true for everybody but it is true for me like i think even just adding the more cosmic angle to this game has has really kind of locked me into it a little bit more so than i would have yeah. previously i can't remember what game it was but there was a game that we played somewhat recently where I like I had a similar experience where I felt like everything that was clearly going into this. I liked this version or this iteration better. Yes. And I think the phrase I, that came to mind was like, I'm now seeing those games the way you see them. You mm. know, it's like, yeah, uh, like a reverse. I wish you could see me the way I see or whatever. Yeah. It, it's cool to see like, if someone has a reverence for a certain style of game, like they can make their version of it. Like, kind of reach a wider audience yes because they they are probably seeing something specific to themselves that is maybe not the thing everyone gets out of that experience yeah you know right that's awesome i definitely want to check that out it sounds great it's so fucking cool uh it's called el paso elsewhere i'm playing it on xbox it might be available on pc i'm not really sure um but it's definitely available on xbox i think it's 15 20 like oh yeah it is, it is on pc cheap halloween games love to see it yeah uh that's that's el paso elsewhere that's it uh, shall we move on to the final game? The big bombastic finale you've all been waiting for. After dunking on EA for roughly two hours, here we are, <laughs> baby. Uh, it is the remake of Dead Space. 
um, that we've both been playing and enjoying. Came out in January? Yeah, this is one of the earliest big hits of the year. Because this was this rumored for a while, then like, you know, had been advertised for a long time and it came out and, and people like loved it. I remember this was like, you know, it's interesting to see whatever the first kind of big deal is every year, you know, especially yeah. like in that, like we've said it before, but like, I feel like Q1 of a year has become like the new zone of blockbusters somehow where yeah, it's like so weird you know it used to be the kind of ambiguous time i mean it still kind of is but there's now at least at this point in time you're going to get at least one or two giant triple a games in that period yeah like, like hotly anticipated huge deal games. we're getting final fantasy 7 rebirth in Je- in february yes of 2024 <laughs> I wonder if it's kind of I wonder if maybe it happened by accident where things were just getting delayed so much that they were starting to come out like kind of misaligned and then they just saw how well that did for them. Now they kind of go for it. I don't know. Maybe. I have no idea. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, this this came out in January and I think you and I both kind of silently agreed like we'll play that in October. Yeah. You know, because like, there were a lot of like early <laughs> Halloween Sorry, wait, hits. Just, just thinking yeah, about yeah. that again, like we're getting Persona 3. Persona 3 Reload is also happening in February. Oh, my God. And then in January, like two weeks before that, is Like a Dragon 8. I should probably stay in Chicago forever just because the winters are so bad. It lets me play all these games, you know? like <laughs> Why is Sega releasing... I just realized Like a Dragon 8 and Persona 3 Reload are both Sega games. Why would they release those so close to one? It's literally a week difference. Don't they know that there is a 100% overlap between those two fan bases? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, EA, EA, Motive Studios, Dead Space, January... <laughs> Where were we? You interrupted my Q1 uh, hype up there. Yeah. So, <laughs> Do you want me to give a thumbs up to camera again? No, I really don't. I'm sick of the thumbs up. <laughs> I don't want to see it ever again. I'm done. There were a lot of Halloween hits early this year that like Resident Evil 4 remake was also like in March. Yeah, it was like Paranormal Sight was also like yeah. around March. <laughs> Uh, and then Dead Space is. I mean, give me eight months to play any of these, please. Yeah, uh, I did. I did bite the bullet and play Resident Evil Four and Paranormal Sight. Loved both when that came out. But Dead Space, I was holding on. I also, to be honest, and maybe this is sacrilege, I didn't love the first Dead Space. I played it like two years ago, and I streamed it actually for for our thing i also think it might have been slightly affected because the stream didn't go very well like my tv was like the sound and visuals it was like hard for me to see mm. uh so like it, I, I played it again after um off stream and enjoyed it more but that was before i got my new tv where i got like a lot of glare and stuff which is not great for yeah, it's not great for dead space yeah, yeah. it's not great for dead space yeah on, um, on my end just to fill in that gap i i have never played the original dead space myself i did watch a friend play it for like anywhere between three and five hours at his house when I was in high school around when it came out and thought like this game rocks like this is so good but I didn't have an Xbox at the time so I just didn't play it yeah Um, and I've always wanted to I really think and this is I I know true for a lot of people I really think the really poor reception to to two and three turned me off of playing the first one over a long period of time but I feel like over the years I just think that first game has has garnered such a such a reverence amongst its fans that like it seemed it seemed clear that it was a game that I needed to play at some point. And by the time I was getting around to checking it out, there were rumors that this the was rumors happening. The rumors of the remake. Yeah. The original is on EA Play and you can also buy it, I believe, in the store. So this is another case where you can get the original game, which is awesome. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, so when I played the original off stream and had a better lighting situation, there are some things about the game that are just like undeniably great. I think the sound design and the level design and like just the atmosphere 
is so good. Like second to maybe only Alien Isolation in terms of like and clearly going after Alien. I mean, you know, the game begins with like a blue collar workforce in a ship and an abandoned space station owned by like a faceless corporation that like clearly doesn't care about their employees and may even want them to turn into weird monsters. <laughs> and and that, that doesn't feel derivative. It just feels like, okay, this is the type of horror they're going for. And also in 2008, this is kind of fresh territory. I mean, System yeah. Shock was really the only other big one I can think of that predates this. Uh, I'm sure there are more, but like, you know, and I'm, I, I would imagine the developers were definitely looking at System Shock for inspiration. But full circle, the game that most clearly inspired Dead Space 1 was the original Resident Evil 4. Yeah. And it's kind of surreal to think about a time where like Resident Evil 4 came out in 2005, I believe. Mm -hmm. Dead Space comes out three years later. Game development (laughs) times were short enough that a game could come out and you could see like the immediate splash direct yeah in a few years versus like we're not going to see elden ring likes until we're in our early 40s you know (laughs) uh (laughs) like i'm not even joking uh so like i i love the look of it but i found i found the game to be kind of frustrating and that might just be on my end i get lost very easily and it's easy to get lost in dead space but the bigger thing and something that i think and we'll talk about the remake in a bit but this is actually a design choice i find holds back my love for either game like i think this problem in my opinion is carried forward to the remake i find the pacing of the enemies to be off especially when you compare it to resident evil 4 Mm. but resident evil 4 is so brilliantly paced where like you know okay i am now in a safe place i can like take a breath save prepare think about what I have, play a little Tetris in the menu and then go out and see how I do. Yeah. And you're always going to be a little bit under, no matter how careful you are, you're always going to be a little bit outmatched and having that give and take of like, there are distinct rest areas. And then there are distinct areas where like you are completely outnumbered and it's tense and scary and thrilling makes that game as great as it is. Mm-hmm. I think Dead Space actively, like their their sort of take on Resident Evil 4 was like, what if you were never safe? What if you were like in this space and at any point, you know, this game is also famous for having like a diegetic menu. Where like when you look at the map and you look at, you know, it's actually Isaac, the protagonist, looking at his like spacesuit options. Right. So, you know. Yeah, you can see his health in the the like spinal LEDs that he which has I love. in his suit. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff rocks. The yeah. UI is amazing. In the original two, all that stuff is great, but I, I don't, I think it's maybe a better pitch to say like, when you're looking at a map, a zombie can just attack you. You're never safe, man. But having that in the game is like, this is just annoying. Like it actually totally diffuses the horror for me that like, okay, okay, there's a guy behind me again. Okay. Mm. Cut, cut off their limbs. You know, it's like, interesting. I just think they throw too many guys at you that are also identical at like all times that you don't have that room to breathe. And I think it actually has the opposite effect of what they want, which is like, you're never safe. I just feel like I'm, I'm always annoyed. You know, that's like, that's what I got from it. So I don't think that's the whole game, but I think early on, especially in the original, that's how I felt the remake overall. I'm enjoying more. I do think there are some, like, I don't love that Isaac talks, to be honest. I kind of liked, yeah, I will. I just, I mean, it's my not big like, thing, my big thing, I yeah. don't mind that he's talking. I do mind that he's not talking during the pivotal opening sequence where you're trapped in a room 
and you watch the rest of your team get absolutely and slaughtered. Silent. And yeah. it's it's he's been he's been a fucking chatterbox until that point, and then he just yeah. watches them all die, and they're all talking to him, and he's not responding. Which, to be clear, in the original, he was a silent protagonist, and in that sequence, he also wasn't saying anything. And I also think that's weird in the original that he's not exclaiming or moving or anything. It's so weird to watch all of these incredibly highly animated characters fighting James Cameron's alien style, all of these horrifying creatures. Meanwhile, you as Isaac are standing there, arms at your side, not even trying to like press a button or like do anything. Like it feels like there should be more freneticism on Isaac's end in that. That's moment. where there should maybe be a cutscene. I think that was another big design choice at the time was like, it's going to be a seamless experience. It's going to be yeah. like, you know, Far Cry uh, 2, baby. Exactly. But I think it does make that moment feel really awkward. I mean, what I liked about him being so it's worth noting, too, in the original trilogy, Isaac was a silent protagonist in the first game, and then he randomly started talking in two and three. And I haven't played two and three. I did watch just some clips of cutscenes to get a sense of like, where did it go? Like, why do people not like them? And they really try to make him Commander Shepard, and it does not work at all. Like, weird. It kind of, like, I think what they were maybe going for was sort of the like, alien to aliens where it's more of an action game and less of a horror game that's that what could I th- totally okay. work sorry that's what i find so weird about dead space in general is like the inception of dead space as as a video game is a bunch of people played resident evil 4 and thought to themselves this is a great blueprint for a horror game yes but they they've taken it in the like resident evil direction of having a little bit more camp a little bit more action forward and we want to retain the horror aspect of that style of play and that's a brilliant idea and i think that's that's a really smart thing to do and to follow that up with two sequels that then make the same exact mistakes resident evil 5 and 6 made (laughs) on building on resident (laughs) evil 4 is so weird to me keep in mind too that was also early 2010s EA. I really wonder how yeah. much pressure there was to like make it a Call of Duty or make it <laughs> less of, or make it more yeah. broadly appealing. You know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what? I, I don't know. I this is just a total guess, but like they were kind of doing the same thing with Mass Effect. You know, where like they right. were like as much as that trilogy is amazing. Like you could feel. I always quote our friend Kim, uh, host of Frog of the Week and Asynchronous, that it's a little Mountain Dewy. Like, yeah. It's you know, and and I kind of love it about Mass Effect to be honest. Like I think there is like a weird broiness to the game that is like weirdly endearing. I think that for, works yeah. for that time. Yeah, but it totally like EA. If EA had full control, they would have made that into like okay, now it's just Call of Duty, mm-hmm. and you can see that too. With I mean, I'm not even going to get into the Dragon Age stuff. What's happened happening lately? Yeah, which is awful with the layoffs and everything. But like there was the article a few years ago that was like EA is letting Bioware have Make Dragon Age player. be single player <laughs> yeah. after the success of. Jedi Fallen Order and it's like that was going to be a live service game do you have any idea what people want from Dragon Age you know I'm not saying you couldn't make a fun live service Dragon Age game but like that is not what fans have been waiting literal years for yeah it's a a timing thing right it's it's not like sure you I I think obviously make what you want to make like if if Bioware the team wanted to make that then like let them do that but is that is that the right Dragon Age game to be releasing now I don't think so Especially after Baldur's Gate 3, which in many ways is like the dream Dragon Age game, yes, uh, yes. which is another thing. But Also the decline of live service happening before our eyes. Jim Ryan stepping down from PlayStation as CEO, which was a huge thing, but also hearing rumors that their 10 live service games they had in development might all get shut down before they release. Like, wild. 
I want nothing more than a Bioware comeback. Like nothing but empathy for people who work there. And <laughs> yeah. I want I want their legacy to continue. But whenever I hear news about Bioware, it's like getting a text from an ex that just says, hey. And yeah. I'm like, I can't. I, I can't like think about this or yeah. do anything. I thought I blocked your number. number. Had to I thought I blocked yeah. this is a new number. Breaking Bad <laughs> snapped the cell phone and I started from scratch. So anyway, Dead Space. Um, so uh, I all, all of this to say I like liked the original but I didn't love it, mm -hmm. you know, and I wanted to love it. And I, I've actually been excited for this remake for that reason. In many ways, I think I'm like the target audience for this because it's like I know of the original and I liked it. But like I do think it could use like uh, it could benefit from being remade. It's like the opposite of how I felt about Resident Evil 4. Mm -hmm. where like Of the two of us, I was way like I trusted Capcom, but I was way more skeptical of like, why does this need to exist? Resident Evil 4 is already timeless. Yeah. It's already widely available. Why, like, you know, I think what I liked about the Resident Evil 2 remake was it felt so distinct. Like, if, that even feels more different than the original. Mm -hmm. You know, it feels, and especially, like, like all the other Resident Evil remakes feel like totally different games. 4 is actually, I think, the closest in spirit, but still feels distinct. Yeah. You know, um, but, like, you could tell that the Resident Evil 2 remake was following the like PT biohazard approach to horror with, you know, being like, what if every room was in the dark and your <laughs> knives broke? It's like, ah, oh, no. Um, so this remake, I've been excited to play because I'm like, I know there's a Dead Space fan within me waiting for an excuse to put on a, a triple layer helmet of light. Yeah, same. It's so weird that I never played this game considering my love of Resident Evil 4 yeah. and knowing that connection the entire time. So I'm like, about five hours into the remake and I'm having a great time with it. I, you know, I, I know I came off critical with like the pacing of the enemies. I think in general, it just feels much better to play. And I, I do think there's something very like brain gober about separating the limbs of the zombies. For those who don't know, like <laughs> the game makes it very clear that like these weird creatures that are haunting this station were people and now are becoming these like weird spiked they're very scary honestly yeah they're really scary your starting weapon is kind of just like a mining tool like it's not even really it's kind of funny in the remake you get it and there's this like samus finding her armor moment of it yeah uh and i'm like this just kind of felt like that's why I liked Isaac being silent in the original. He's just sort of the guy with the wrench that somehow survived. Like, yeah. That's it. Half there's no like chosen. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I think there's something to satirically about this sort of nameless, faceless employee that is the savior. Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah. I think giving him a voice doesn't eliminate that, but it feels kind of tacked on. And I feel like I don't really know. Like he feels like kind of a generic character. Like there's that banter early on where he's like, yeah, you know, I've got a girlfriend just so you know. And, uh, uh, you know, can't wait to get off the clock and have a cold one. And then the game starts, uh, you know, it's not quite that, but it's like, I don't know if it benefited from that. You know, if you're going to give him a voice, maybe take that opportunity to give him a character as well. Mm. And maybe it gets better later on. Who knows? But anyway, the remake overall, it's a very impressive remake in terms of like retaining the original spirit and like modernizing the incredible like art direction of the first i think mechanically it kind of feels more like a remaster where like it is very faithful to the original um like from my experience so far with both games very little has changed the biggest thing is just that the menus are much easier to see and you have an ability that like isaac can like do an action that will light a path to where you have to go that alone is why i like this one more than the original <laughs> just because like i think it's 
there's enough of a th- constant threat that getting lost is not like a Metroid where you'll discover new things. It just feels like, where do I go? Like, I just, just tell me yeah. where to go. They also, um, they did open up the environment a little bit more. So areas that were originally cordoned off into like almost levels in the original are now spaces that you can like freely explore. So when you've like moved on to another section of the space station, you can still like take the train back to the first one if you feel like there's stuff that you yeah. left behind there, which you couldn't do in the original, which I think right, is they nice. were more divided. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a great, there's a lot of like very subtle design improvements which i'm really impressed by yeah um and again the aiming so to kill these zombies you have to cut off their limbs and when you aim your gun you get three little blue lights and you can change if they're horizontal or vertical it's amazing i love cutting off a limb and then stomping on their head is like my game of the year those two (laughs) mechanics so overall like i think it's really fun i don't find it to be that scary to be honest i think the original is scarier just because there's less there's less given to you you know there's Mm. less of a voice i do think isaac being this kind of blank slate made him made the whole thing a little scarier more like alien quite literally and i think there's something about this sort of like slightly older presentation that makes it like creepier you know but this game is just i think more fun to play and i will i will end up seeing more of the game so i i think it's not quite the same gold standard of remake that i would give for where like I mean, I don't expect any remake to hit those highs, to be honest, but I think it's a really great way to like remind people of what made Dead Space so wonderful and also kind of like take a chance to modernize it a little bit and exist alongside the original. I would guess that like there are enough hardcore fans of the original that I'm sure people will still recommend one over the other. But I think for if if this is a really good introduction to the series, I think. Mm. Um, And I... I'm enjoying. It. I'm really curious what you think, though. I just rambled on for a very long time. No, no, no. no. I, I, yeah. I'm glad to hear all that. Uh, I yeah. so I'm as as mentioned. I'm coming at this from the perspective of not having played the first uh, myself. I think this game is brilliant. I I am completely blown the fuck away by the Dead Space remake. I've yeah. I've honestly been keeping an eye on Motive Studios within EA. I'm just I'm always curious about what they're working on because they started off as a support studio for Battlefront 2, which, you know, it's a very pretty game, but was not, I think, what anybody wanted it to be. And then they followed that up with Star Wars Squadrons, which I talked about on this show, like glowing about because I, I that's pretty small scale, like flight sim game where you're just like part of a team of rebels who need to fly around in space in star wars and do like kind of just space missions um and it looks incredible it has like a very clear vision it has some like interesting stuff going on character wise like i just i just think that game is really great and really just got kind of swept under the rug very quickly um and i was glad to see that they were attached to a new thing and the idea of them tackling dead space was like i don't know how that's going to work I was really like kind of just curious about it more than anything. And then it came out and got incredible reviews. And then I was like, okay, I'll play it in October for spooky season. And I think the biggest thing that really kicked off how much I'm enjoying this was finishing separate ways and then immediately jumping into dead space. Yeah. Because going from Resident Evil four specifically separate ways, which is, I would say more like espionage spy thriller than it is, you know, like kind of horror action game. Like the, base Resident Evil 4 is this is more like what if James Bond had zombies in it you know yeah which like rocks and is fun but 
coming from that game, knowing the lineage of how Resident Evil 4 inspired Dead Space and jumping into Dead Space and having, first of all, I think that that opening sequence where it's like Isaac and the rest of the crew like talking amongst themselves. I agree with you. Like some of the dialogue is very silly, but I found it really effective at almost giving me that like Ridley Scott like yeah. intro to Sigourney Weaver in that character. I think it was more successful with the other characters. Like I actually like I forgot I forgot her name, but like one of your coworkers who's like, oh, like you'll get to, you know, chat with your girlfriend if you get out early or yeah. like, yeah. you know, it, it adds some humanity to them before they're inevitably thrown into a pit or something. But, but that <laughs> sequence, I think happening with that dialogue along with I'm playing this on the Series X like presentationally oh yeah it is maybe the most beautiful game i've ever played like it is stunning what they've managed to do graphically with this thing i I, even honestly having played like some of cyberpunk again recently like this is a game that i am more interested in playing from a visual perspective if i if i want to show somebody like this is what video games can look like like dead space remake for some reason is now the gold standard for me i just think it's stunning like what they've done with lighting what they've done with you know like the way fog interacts with light and texture and all that kind of stuff. It's just like really, really spectacularly beautiful. And then you have that weird sequence where the aliens attack for the first time or not the aliens, but like the zombie creatures attack for the first time. And I was like, this is very weird and silly. But then I got the, the, the mining gun and started to make my way out into the world and needed to interact with the world, with the tools that I was given. And I, you know, I'm trying to cut off limbs and stuff. And I was coming at this from the perspective of like, I just played Resident Evil four. I'm like primed and ready to play this game. Not really clocking the idea that that idea that like the the humor and the camp of Resident Evil 4 is not supposed to be present at all in Dead Space. It's very scary. It is like I found the game to be actually scary in a way that I super wasn't prepared for. It really like really knocked me off my center in a way and kind of kicked my ass pretty quickly. And I really just like respected the fuck out of Dead Space for that. Like I, I just found myself legitimately frightened of every creature that was coming at me through a hallway. And there's a sequence like right at the beginning where you need to like free a train car. Yeah. And you just need to like jump back and forth between two buttons essentially and just like press them at the right time to be able to do it. But while you're doing that every once in a while, a creature will like come out of a vent or something and come at you. And what I found so interesting about this game is like, whereas in Resident Evil 4, you are walking into a village or a space or like a a room or a house or something and you can pretty clearly see what you're gonna have to deal with or you can hear what you're gonna have to deal with right you're the chainsaw in the distance and you think to yourself i know how to take this guy down but i need to conserve this kind of ammo when i'm fighting like the four guys on the way there you know like roundhouse kick this guy shoot that guy in the head knife this guy while he's down and now i have enough ammo to take out the the chainsaw guy in this game they as you mentioned they just continue to kind of throw these creatures at you until you're done with whatever sequence you're done with. And in some cases, like they just continue to throw them at you regardless, like yeah. no matter what. And that's like, what I meant about like, I think it, it, it can go either way, right? Where I, I know it's more critical early on, but like in that train sequence, I think it's brilliant because you are working towards an objective. Yeah. You know, whereas if I'm just going to save, it's like not quite as effective yeah. in my opinion, you yeah. know? But in, in that sequence, I found myself in situations where I was like totally out of my depth or I hadn't recharged the, um, what is it called? The stasis like enough to be able to handle all the stuff that they were throwing at me because I would just be like sitting at a button and I wouldn't even have heard the creature that came up behind me, you know? And it's in those moments where I'm like, Oh, this is going after a completely different thing tonally than Resident Evil four. Like they really, they really are when they say they're inspired by Resident Evil four, they're inspired by the actual moments of, of horror that can be present in Resident Evil four, but was not the focus clearly. And that, that is coming through loud and clear for me with this. And I I just, I just am finding it 
really hard to stop playing. Like I just, I just, I think it's exceptional and I understand why it was like really just lauded when it came out. Like it, 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 I think, you know, I, I, I want to go play the original a little bit eventually and like compare and contrast on my own. But I, I think this game is exceptional. Like I, I, I'm really, I'm really into it. I'm sure I'm going to get significantly more scared the deeper I get because I've, I've seen this in the originals. It's probably why I was more like, all right, I know what to do. But there are still some sequences like the one that I think is like evil in a good way is you get to this point where there's a circuit breaker and there are three slots yes. for power. Yes. And two of them are to open doors and one of them is for the it's lights. the lights. Yeah. And you, you, you're like, no way. No, no way are they going to make me go in the dark to my destination and you like without saying like i guess i gotta go in the dark like you you just figure that out and of course the minute you turn the lights off you hear like in the distance you know vent opens um and of course when you aim you have a bit of a flashlight which is awesome but like that was awesome like there there i'm excited to see more of the game because i think i've only seen like the opening in both cases and i do think like some of yeah i think like cases like where you're silent while the crew is attacked feels like kind of a weird leftover of the original yeah that doesn't quite work the same way it's, That's it's what like I they, they wanted the to pacing. they wanted to play it close enough to the original to like keep the hardcore fans happy in some ways sure like, oh yeah right. everybody loves this scene so let's keep it exactly as it is you know just like bump up the graphics on level i would three. i would imagine what they were going for is like they probably wanted you to like frantically look for a way to get in, but there's also not any options. Like I think a better version of that type of scene is uh, in Resident Evil one, famously the, the Jill sandwich lion. Um, you go into a room and you take a shotgun off the wall and it triggers the ceiling to slowly go down. And there are only two doors out of the room. And if you check both of them, they're both locked. So like the first time player is going to be nervously running in circles as the ceiling comes down and then of course Barry saves you and goes you're almost a Jill sandwich <laughs> um which is like that that's the moment when Resident Evil was like we should be campy is like because that <laughs> that just gives you such a relief but uh that moment could have benefited from having like two locked doors like visibly or mm-hmm. like something that like maybe gives you the illusion of an option well that, that was actually my yeah. issue with it was the door you come in i immediately tried to go back out so i could help and that door is locked and as soon as i saw that door was locked and there was no way out the other end i was like well do i so you I, just have to watch. i just have to stand yeah. here and watch yeah, this happen exactly. and isaac <laughs> is not moving or doing anything to yeah. show his shock <laughs> at, yeah at right alien life <laughs> it's it's very silly um but i do i do love uh like it is a bit like even though it is more horror centric than Resident Evil 4, it's equally fun. Like I feel like it's yeah. it's like the way like combat works and the like getting credits to get upgrades for like your gun and your so like it has a similar loop of like you're always kind of excited to find the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely want to see it through because I want to see like where it goes. I think there's also some really interesting design with the enemies where when you first see them, they're like bipedal humanoids that have these two big claws. Yeah. And then if the ones I just saw were like more snake-like, like they had yes. almost evolved. So I'm like very excited to see, well, maybe not excited, but I'm uh, <laughs> aware that there will be a, a progression of the enemies we're fighting. Yeah. One change I know they made from the original, which I, I just heard anecdotally from somebody else I know who played it, said that in the original game, you needed to buy weapons like at a, at like a shop which I imagine is also kind of like a Resident Evil 4 holdover in some ways. But in, yeah. in this game, you don't. In this game, you just find all the weapons 
in the world and you don't have to pay for them, which I think makes the game a lot more interesting in that you don't need to spend any currency to get to engage with the rest of the world in a new way, right? Like, because every kind of weapon you get is going to slightly change the way you interact with different encounters and stuff. And I think having more more freedom on the player's end to to encounter that stuff instead of needing to, like, save up and be like, okay, which of these am I going to buy? Yeah. Um, I, th- I think is probably going to make the game more enjoyable for a lot of people. Yeah, I think it's a, it was a really good design choice. I do wonder, because this game did very well, I wonder if the, the big question mark is, like, are they going to remake 2 and 3? Or are they going to like pretend 2 and 3 didn't happen and make different sequels? You know, Because I think Alien Isolation is interesting because that feels like a sequel to Alien if you ignore Aliens, Alien 3, and Alien 4. Right. And I wonder if like they're just going to be like, yeah, you know what? The, those games, I don't want them to be erased, obviously, but I'm just wondering what the future is. Or if they really just... Because I think Dead Space 1 has been like the one that is remembered and talked about the most. Right. I know some people have some love for two not as much for three i wonder if maybe it was like you know one is enough we don't need to remake all of them but i i just wonder what the plan is there yeah yeah it i it be strange weirdly for them to remake two right like if, if anything i would want them to just make a new two you know like i i don't even think try and remake two and and i feel the same way about resident evil 4 to be clear like if they're gonna go on to do five and six they've already i mean we've talked about this, this is not like a spoiler or anything but they've they've already kind of set up like a potential different path for the way they could go about making a Resident Evil 5 and 6 if they wanted to continue going down that way. Yeah. That could just completely ignore everything that happens in the actual Resident Evil 5 and 6 games, you know, and and I I would welcome that. Like, I, th- I think that this yeah. team is like on a hot streak and I would love to see them continue to do that. I just don't want a multiverse reveal at the end where we see both fives and they like team up to fight. <laughs> you know that they'll do that. Of course. <laughs> Cap- Capcom has has that kind of silliness in them. They're, they're going to do that. And- <laughs> Maybe for Resident Evil, I'll let it slide, but I just no more no more of that yeah. please but when it comes to to dead space like i mean people didn't like those games really right i mean that, that's and and i i agree with you like you, you wouldn't want them to get like completely erased but thankfully like they're still available you can go play them they're on ea access right now like if you have game pass you can check them out but i don't know i the other the other side of me is like i i want motive to make other stuff that's not just dead space you know like yeah like almost selfishly i just kind of want to see this team continue to flaunt how incredible they are uh and just make some other stuff i mean yeah going back to that golden age va make new ip you know make something inspired by dead space yeah that isn't new dead space 2 right but um as it stands i think this is a really really great game and i'm excited to see it through so would recommend yeah it's uh it's it's (laughs) I was expecting to like it. I wasn't expecting to love it on the level that I am. And and it's weird because I feel like this game coming out in January, we're kind of at a point now where like as as you and I are talking more about game of the year and things like that. And, you know, like press outlets are starting to talk about game of the year. Dead Space is a game that despite getting like nines and tens all over the place, I think is is one that people aren't talking about as much. Weirdly, it's already been forgotten by the myriad other things that have come out this year that have kind of stolen the spotlight away from it. But I do wonder if being a remake is maybe part of that. And I also think yeah. it's like even though there are like really great additions and design changes, it is pretty faithful. You know, it's not like Resident Evil 4 where it has this kind of like new splash to it. I was going to say, this is is like, it's interesting because this game and Resident Evil 4 came out around the same time as the Metroid Prime remake for Switch. And I feel like that's that's almost the the spectrum that we're going between right is like resident evil 4 remake is definitely like trying some new stuff taking you know the skeleton of what was there and improving on it in various ways dead space remake is like trying to be very 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 faithful but it's just cleaning up the stuff that i think didn't 
really work with people the first time around. So what you're left with is like, here's everything you remember loving. And we've also just kind of like smoothed the whole process over. And then Metroid Prime remake, which is like more of a remaster, I would say. But yeah. oh, yeah, it, it, yeah, I think it is called remaster, right? Metroid Prime remastered is just the the original game, but with better graphics. Um, yeah. And, and I do think the Dead Space just like sits right in the middle of those two in, in terms totally. of your graph. Um, and it does raise some questions for me about like, is this a thing that will be eligible when I'm talking about game of the year at the end of the year? Like, I, I think for us, like anything is eligible if you can make a case for it, as we always say, but I'm wondering like for IGN, are they going to be considering dead space? Yeah. I don't 2023. Know. Like maybe not. And maybe also it was just too, maybe it was like the Q1 curse is a little too early. Yeah. You know, you want to get that sweet. You want to get in like May, yeah, you know? Right. Um, like Tears of the Kingdom. Although maybe not, because then you'll be eclipsed by Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I, that reminds me too. Like I do feel a lot of Metroid in this game. Like I, I do, like a lot. Even some of the sound effects when you find an item remind me of Metroid Prime. It almost makes me want to see a first-person version of this game, mm. but that might be too scary. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, Motive also is very good at porting stuff to VR. I'd be curious to know if they're there you go. working on a VR. I mean, that would be great with aiming the thing, right? Wouldn't that be really yeah. fun to to almost like Skyward Swordify the combat in this yes. game? But yeah, I, I'm reminded of Metroid with like stuff like the stasis where like there's a, a door that keeps opening and closing. Yeah. And then you can like cast stasis on it to like keep it open and go in. And like, yeah. I imagine there'll be more powers like that and, you know, weapons that like give you, you know, it's not, I wouldn't go as far to say it's a Metroidvania, but it has echoes of that. The The beginning space station is like an intertwined enough environment and like, yeah, you need to like turn off locks and i mean maybe it is maybe you could say it is honestly there, there's a lot of similarities but the, at least the way the remake plays it, it is very interested in telling you where to go <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. which i think does kind of take that element out of it yeah but yeah i think i think for me i found that it was too easy to get lost in the original so I actually i think it's a nice trade-off where like you can get a line to show you where to go but it's also something that isaac has to like do physically yeah so if you're in a room where there are enemies like that's gonna actually be a risky thing to try to do yeah right which is like i think that's a nice trade-off to it mm. but uh yeah it's it's really cool I, uh, I love his helmet. I've always thought it's a very cool design. The helmet's sick, yeah. yeah. It's uh, up there with other iconic helmets. Yeah. It reminds me of like a city building as a helmet. You know, it's like <laughs> kind of like an office building head. Yeah. Oh my God, I just forgot his name from Watch Dogs. Whatever. His iconic hat. <laughs> right. Like, it was when, a baseball cap. Yeah, when they're selling his hat with the Watch Dogs logo on it, they're like, this is his iconic hat. Yeah, my I, my my one thing about Dead Space is is just those abilities, like the stasis ability and stuff. I'm like, I would have I would have liked even just one line of dialogue to explain how that works in universe. Oh, sure. Because it really just feels like okay, yeah, you're you're playing this sci-fi game. Oh, but you get a magic spell. <laughs> there must there must be some like audio log or because there's a lot of like tablets you can. Yeah, find. there might be. Yeah, I didn't even think yeah. about that. Yeah, maybe one of the tablets or something I, I picked up explains it or something. But I yeah. I originally justified it in my head when I used it on that door that was opening and closing. Is like, oh, okay, yeah, you're like you're like an industrial mining uh like repair man. Like it makes sense that you would have some kind of ability that would alter the like technology that's running the store or like the technology that's running these things. But then you can use it on enemy creatures also and i'm like okay that breaks down immediately like i, I don't i don't know how this works or yeah, why we need Caden to show up and explain biotics to isaac real yeah. Quick. <laughs> yes yeah i do for real yeah what if Caden was in this game that'd be fun <laughs> dead Caden. <laughs> okay Caden space Caden space there it is there, okay we got it right at the end
That's like a Disney Channel original series, like Cade in Space, you know. <laughs> oh, Cade in Space. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You want to wrap up? I would love to. I was about to say we Cade get Fisto, out and I'm like, we got to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you said it. Cade Fisto. <laughs> okay. Take us out of here, Howie. Thank you, Howie. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Into the Cast at Online is our website. It has everything you need, links to our various social media pages, links to our Patreon. If you want to support us there, you can. Thank you to everyone who's able to do that. We have some really exciting plans for the Patreon in uh, the next few months, notably early next year. I'll say that much. Get that hype train a rolling. Get that hype train rolling. Uh, this month's bonus for everyone is going to be Majora's Mask, as we announced last week. Very excited for that. I'm, I've already seen people talk about the game in the discord and yeah we we did ask last week uh how people felt about us leaving x slash formerly known as twitter behind us yeah and it seems like most people are are happy to do so so i don't we're not going to delete it right away but i think we're no longer going to really post or engage there yeah i posted a i posted an image that i have pinned to the top of it that's like here just where to find us elsewhere um yeah which just to be clear and, and it's in the show notes and it's on our website but tumblr threads and blue sky i would say are the three best places to interact with us totally as usual we're always posting the new episode art to instagram so like if you if you really want like an up to the minute like here's the new thing we always post that every single time it's so also that, a lovely time capsule just to see all the like scroll through all the episode art it's yeah, kind of fun it rocks yeah. um yeah. but the the place that we are like hanging out really i would say well i mean you're more active on blue sky and i'm more active on threads so we have the show on both of those places yeah yeah i i've just started i feel like blue sky has felt like before i like really like took twitter x off my phone I didn't really know, like, I felt like I was tweeting and then doing the same on Blue Sky. I'm like, am I like Gallagher's brother going on tour as Gallagher on Blue Sky, you know? <laughs> uh, and but now that it's like become like, OK, this is basically Twitter again. Yeah, I'm, I'm most I'm more active there. Uh, and that's probably where I'll be the most active. But I do love I mean, I'm trying to figure out I'm still in the process of figuring out like where I like to be the most and what I want to share in each space. Yeah, I, I think between Instagram, Tumblr and Blue Sky, they all have different kind of purposes. So I think so, too. Know, yeah, I, I'll probably share art on all places and I'll share stuff about the show everywhere. I'll probably share more random posts on Blue Sky. That's how I knew Twitter was done, where I'm like, I don't even feel the need to like make a silly joke. Yeah. I'm out like yeah, yeah. that's all I used to do here. I don't want to actually look at ads. I don't I don't know what it was, but just like removing the the link card and only leaving the image like actually <laughs> was the last straw for me. I don't know. I don't know what it was. There about were that, many like, last straws. As soon yeah. as they did that, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to watch this devolve until you can't post anything. <laughs> yeah, know? I would say like the best place to be to like know everything is the discord. You know, that's I think. Yeah. You know, we sh yeah, that's that's worth reiterating. Yeah, that is always I mean, we have like a, a bot that that automatically updates whenever there's a new episode out like that's you know that's where the discussion about the episodes is happening the, dis the discord continues to be such a positive place and like it is a pretty big server at this point you know i think we've always been prepared for like as it grows for it to like change and i think for the most part it's remained like a very positive place to be yeah you know for the size it is so i definitely think it's like a great place to talk about games and also to stay in touch with what the show is doing so yeah into the cast online has links for all those places including the discord 
And oh, also, if you want to help us grow, share with a friend, please. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That really does help. Uh, as every show says, we all mean it. <laughs> yeah, nobody's lying about no that. No one's lying about reviews not helping. <laughs> anyway, uh, my name is Stephen Hilger. Uh, you can find me at Stephen Hilger and Stephen Hilger Art. I'm Brendan Bigley. You can find me on all platforms except X at <laughs> Brendan Bigley. <laughs> Have a wonderful rest of your day. Enjoy the beginning of uh, the fall and autumn if you are in the northern hemisphere. Yeah. If not, have a wonderful spring. Man, I, I, nice. I went for a walk to go get my bagel this morning before we started recording. And I was like wearing a sweater. Yeah. And it's the best I felt in like six days. <laughs> I went to a pub last night with, with in a hoodie and there were orange lights. Uh, in the, yeah, it was amazing. The dream. Anyway, have a great day. See ya. <laughs> Bye-bye.